welcome to the only podcast called Soapbox in the world. Um, Ever. And uh, today we are here with Mel Priestley, and we are going to talk about 1990... 1990? 1990, yeah. 1990s Tremors. The legend, the best uh, SpaghettiO carnage you've ever seen. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. arguably arguably the best perhaps the best monster movie of its type because it, it feels like it's a it's a it feels like it's from the 1950s or mm-hmm. something it feels like them like a movie like that but it's just it's it's perfection as a movie i think it is yeah that's yeah that's there's agree on this side too <laughs> yeah, it, there's something about it, and I don't. I've thought a long time. Why? Why does? Why this movie? Why do I love it so much? Why is this literally the movie I have seen more than any other movie by a wide margin? Like, and I'm not joking. Like, like I've probably seen this push in a hundred times. Um, <laughs> which is, yeah. Um, there's something about it like it just it's like the world that it exists in just feels weirdly comfortable even though it's about monsters under the ground but there's something there that like oh I kind of want to live in that place not really because I don't want to get eaten by a graboid but yeah there's I don't know I've been thinking about that and I think it's because like there's there's like an embodiedness to the monsters that feels like something like if you compare it to all the horrors that have come after and stuff like I've I always prefer when the monster is real so these like they created those those things right they were puppets and they had like miniatures and there's actually a really good YouTube documentary you can watch there's like an hour that shows like the making of there's probably a few of those but um yeah they built these things and so they're they're they actually did exist in a way um and then now everything's CGI so it's like those they just exist in not to say that that's not real but eh, it's just different it's less no it's not yeah it's there's a there's a tangibility to this and and i think i think it's like of those like it's a very typical argument like uh practical effects are always better Mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's not always sometimes they just look like shit and sometimes that's the fun of it is it's kind of crappy so it's like there's kind of like you're sticking your imagination in but the but the graboids look really good like mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. like d- that scene where it busts into the the rec room the basement the room, yeah. yeah yeah that puppet looks incredible like yeah. i i was i was looking i was watching it as it moved around and it's got like this skin at the bottom that flops mm-hmm. like it it's it like feels like a real thing and it's yeah uh, it's kind of amazing because i don't think this was a big budget movie in the slightest no, it wasn't. So that scene you're describing, that was a miniature, hey? And it yeah. was like a little puppet that he he steered he was, around. He but around, yeah. Yeah. Wow, um, really? That no. was a mini? Yeah. yeah. He's like this like little little guy. Yeah. Oh, I had I could I had no idea. Like they they did mm-hmm. it so well. I yeah. I'm eternally mind blown by the prehensile snake tongues. Like mm-hmm. the way that they look when they all come out together. It does not look like special effects for those moments. <clears throat> and what you're saying about something being more embodied, like um, that whole idea of like the the image of a thing is the thing when it comes to like mm. gods or spirits. Um, 
there there are like parasitic worm beast masters and if you make the like image of the worm beast then like somehow you're paying some kind of tribute like no matter no matter what anybody says i think you build like a life-size there's some cosmic worm that's been out there for aeons that's like yes thank you yeah i think a lot of under <laughs> underworld spirits are they present themselves to humans anyway in my experience as like tentacly as wormy as sneaky like just like and I don't know why I don't know if that's what they look like or that they know it'll freak us out <laughs> like um I, yeah no I encountered one of that in in a cave in Hawaii and then I was reading something I can't even remember where it was but it was like a cult literature and it was talking about underworld spirits being more like if you're getting like imagery in your brain of like like serpents and tentacles you probably just pissed off like a land spirit and it's telling you to like fuck off, which is 100% that like when I was in Hawaii, it, it wasn't like it was menacing, but I think it was actually just like, please leave. You're in my home and I don't want you here. So, mm. yeah, I hear that. I think that some things uh, can sort of project the that imagery onto onto you as like a warning uh, the same way that you're, you know, genetically predisposed to be like, oh, fuck a snake. Um mm -hmm. Or fuck a spider, like, uh, but then there are beings who come across that way because that's just their nature. So it determines their form. Mm -hmm. And there's like, it's almost like the same as any creature you'd find in the jungle, right? Well, it's also weird to think about because, like, if you think about a cave, like a cave is is kind of like you're walking through a worm, like this this thing that's been hollowed out through time, mm -hmm. and like. Uh, so there's a, there's almost like a reflection of the of what the creature is and the and what you think of as underground like tunnels and like that I mean a worm is basically just a, like a living tunnel <laughs> for lack of a better yeah. term. Uh, so there yeah there's something uh, fundamentally arch archetypal about that. Uh, yeah I don't know. Um, I know what you're saying too about it being cozy like the when I was a kid, it was one of my favorite movies too. I, I think I rented it from the store probably like 10 or 15 times. Uh, like I should have just bought it, you know? Yeah, um, we we were like asking for it every time we went to Blockbuster Video. And then eventually we just got it for like Christmas or something that year. And then because we owned it, my brother and I would just put it on like every weekend for a while. And for whatever reason, mom and dad just kind of, I don't know, I think they thought it was kind of, well, I don't think my mom liked it, but dad thought <laughs> he was funny. So they they didn't care. You know what? The kids are occupied for 90 minutes. So, you know, let's, whatever. They just let us go. So yeah, we watched, we watched the shit out of that movie. Oh my God. This might've been one of the first R-rated movies I saw and, or like gory movies that I was, because I wasn't allowed to watch them, but it was like one of those where I, I saw it and then I was like, look. I saw this already, so you have to let me watch it again. <laughs> and they actually fucking went for it. Like, it was it was awesome. So what's weird is my parents were super strict, mom in particular, so strict about movies. So I guess I must have been an age, I don't know, I was like 12 or maybe 13, which meant my brother was like 10 or 11. They were normally really strict, but you know what? Was it graded R? Because I thought... I thought they only have the one F bomb and then they, they changed the other. So didn't it get like a PG 13 rating? Oh, I could be wrong. That, that actually would make sense to me. I I feel think... like if it was rated R, my parents would have definitely not gone for it. Cause yeah, no, they were, they were pretty hardcore when I was a kid. 
it, it's funny because like I have the exact opposite experience of you guys. I actually saw this in theaters <laughs> with my dad, and we often like I saw, and I I, I was too young. I, I've seen Hell. I saw Hellraiser in the theater. I saw Aliens. Like Yikes. every every horror movie possible that was Wait, like and like how old? Like teenager? No, younger than that. Like maybe. Oh, I mean, I remember. I remember. Uh, one of the best was it was. It was me and my younger cousins uh, and older cousins. We went. To, we all went to see Dream Warriors, like Nightmare on Elm Street. Dream Warriors. Oh, in the <laughs> I mean, how I was your know. sleep I was like that 12 night? Or something? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was oh fine. God. I was fine, but all my younger cousins had nightmares. So, I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't mess you up, though. You're normal. It was fine. Oh no, I'm I'm completely fucked up for sure. <laughs> it's like I just pictured like a like a an old school like JRPG style battle where it's like Tremors is the 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 guy you're fighting and it's like you and your cousins and like they all get struck with fear. <laughs> <laughs> um Tremors had a budget of 10 million dollars and uh it totally flopped at the box office, only pulling mm-hmm. sixteen million. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, they that, only that's, made six million. That's bucks. the lore of Tremors, yeah, where where it was a disaster, but then it became this cult classic, and everyone rented it from Blockbuster 15, 20 times and bought it on VHS, right? Yeah, because it's not but, a horror. It's not a horror movie. It's a. It's like a feel good adventure film. Yeah, it is horror, but it's so campy that. It like makes up for it. It doesn't ever go into that level. I think if you, okay, sure. Little kids were probably like, ah, scary. But if you're, you know, even like in puberty-ish, like you're like, aha, look at those. Those look, you know, if I was getting scared and then something just is so ridiculous that you're, you're good. But there's, well, there's also a heart to it. Like Fred and Earl just have this beautiful, like, wait, not Fred and Earl. What am I saying? I'm combining (laughs) Fred Ward and Earl is his name. No, <laughs> Val and Earl. <laughs> Val and Earl have these like beautiful buddy platonic life mate, you know, energy that um <laughs> there's like that there's a heart there. Like Valentine literally has a heart-shaped belt buckle. So, you know, there's there's it, it, it's like the, you know, they're around so you know you're going to be safe even though they're kind of like these small town fuck-ups and whatever. But you know that they're like kind of decent guys under it all, right? Well, it's 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 interesting cuz it, it it's a, it's actually kind of it's not just them it's like the whole town because mm-hmm. it's so tiny and it, i think that's that's another thing that like this is a this is a movie that's worth studying as like a filmmaker or like a narrative because there's all of the characters in it feel real even mm-hmm. if you get the like just little snippets of them like the, including some of the people that die at the very beginning the very first person they find the guy stuck in the on the radio the tower. tower. Yeah, yeah, you even get a sense Edgar. of him like yeah, like as this oh, this character and like they all know him. And, he's a like, town drunk and they're all drunk. like, "Oh fuck, he's up there. What did yeah. you, how much did you drink now?" You know, like okay, yeah. Yeah, and the and the fact that that one of them is like well, they're both willing to climb up a radio tower or an electrical tower to, to haul this guy down. Yeah. Like yeah, that I mean there's there's just this like we're, this this place is so tiny we're all kind of family together mm-hmm. and and the other thing that's really cool about this is like there's no idiots 
Like everybody, like as the movie. What about Melvin? Yeah, just the brother from Wonder Years. Yeah, that, that little. Kid. <laughs> yeah. He's like the he's like the little shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everybody who's an adult, more or less, like for the most part, everybody contributes. It, it's like it's like an interesting study in like what it is to actually lead and problem solve too. In that it's not just it's not just Earl and uh, Val coming up with everything. It's like every like everybody in the town suggests things as they go on, or like everybody throws an idea out, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we'll mm-hmm. do this." And it's it's uh, I don't know. You you just don't. That doesn't happen very much in films. It's usually just like one person, and it's yeah, they drive everything, and that's not the case in this movie. It's yeah, interesting no, how he has like it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just funny that that's normally not the narrative you see, and yet somehow we have a country full of narcissists. <laughs> oh wait that makes perfect sense actually everyone has to be the main character who is infallible right yeah <laughs> yeah it's funny you mentioned the kid because who is melvin who does he belong to he doesn't belong to anyone he's just there I why is the... this six no he's just a, he's just a 16 year old in this town who did you think was his family the guy that died on the roof of the trailer when because Nestor, Mel- yeah yeah, Nestor. Yeah. I thought Nestor yeah. was his no. dad somehow. So his uncle, or so did uh, maybe, but they like if you look up their last names, they're not the same, and and there's <laughs> nothing in the like movie notes about them being related. That makes the most sense. My husband was like, "Yeah, no, no, that's his dad," and I was like, "Is it though? Like, I don't know if it is." I I think when I was a little kid, I thought the the pottery lady, I can't remember her name, was yeah. like his his mom or something. But no, assumption. yeah, but no, no. <laughs> Well, oh, this maybe, is a... Go ahead. maybe he's the harbinger for the graboids. Maybe, maybe <laughs> he comes in and summons them, and the and is he's he's there to like create hijinks so they all get eaten. Like he's there, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's funny that you say that is because so there were so many terrible spinoffs, right? I don't know if you saw any of the the sequels and yeah. stuff like that. Um, but Melvin is a character. So I've I've only seen the second and the third one. Um, and then just this past weekend, I downloaded the TV series from like 2003 or something. There yeah, there was series? a TV series. Yeah, it's fucking terrible. Don't watch it. <laughs> I, I tried to watch like two episodes and I was like, oh boy, this I can't I can't do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, Melvin is like the bad guy. Well, he's like a developer who wants to like turn perfection into, I don't know, like an amusement park or whatever. And they're just living like there's people living there. And there's it takes place after the third movie, and there's just there's a, a graboid named oh is it El Blanco or something because it's he's he's an albino graboid, and he's a protected species so they can't kill him but appear periodically he bursts through town and they all have to like free it's so convoluted and stupid <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, and it's the kind of thing where I'm like that doesn't everything that came after doesn't really exist in for me you know those are like something else i'm not going to let that ruin the perfection that is you know the first one i'm i'm kind of like a, i'm worried now that you've mentioned that both this series exists and that it's that terrible that now kurt <laughs> is going to really want us to watch it for an episode oh uh, no. No? no okay I, i'm i'm this, this like i said i love this movie i think it's perfect funny that the town's name perfection perfection um, yeah yeah uh that was I, their hyper I, their accidental hyper I, yeah i think so 
um yeah i don't i i i saw like maybe i think maybe two isn't there a time travel one too or something or yeah uh the fourth or fifth one of the ones um it's it's yeah it's the or it's a prequel and so the only guy who's in it the whole time is is um, Bert, Michael Gross, right? Fred Ward's in the second one, so it's worth watching it for that because, you know, you get Earl's character back. Um, and then Bert Gummer is in all of them. So it just became <laughs> about this gun nut who, like, libertarian who lives in the desert and hunts scraboids. Um, <laughs> a true American patriot. <laughs> uh, they should have... It's just about Ted Nugent's life. Like, it's just... It's just a Ted Nugent documentary. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, okay. So I, this is a really weird tangent. I worked with that guy's stepson. And he had, uh, he had this like condo in New York. And I remember we were hanging out and we actually visited him in it. He, I, I don't think they lived there full time. And he was like, yeah, this was paid for by Tremors. <laughs> All the Tremors Wait, movie. so... <laughs> Who's who's who steps in? Wait, I thought you were not Ted Nugent then. No, 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 no. Uh, the Burt Gunner character. Uh, Burt Gunner. Oh, Michael Gross then. Michael Gross. Yeah, it was the actor. Okay, got it. Yeah, I got yeah. lost. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, cool. It's okay. Maybe I didn't. I didn't. Explain it. <laughs> it's just a weird, really weird tangential thing. <laughs> no, that's kind of awesome though. Yeah, yeah. The money, the money that Tremors bought. Um, <laughs> was it a like? alt-right lockdown house <laughs> <laughs> no i don't think that guy is actually like that at all so cool i no, just had probably to know. not <laughs> yeah yes. but even them like even the gun nuts are still like not i feel like they're not representative of what a gun especially not in 2023 maybe it was different in the 90s but i have no experience with american gun nuts i'm up here in canada and guns are, are just not a thing here like they are in the states so if there were graboids that happened in canada we'd probably all be fucked because no one would have guns or explosives to take care of these things <laughs> but then again it gets so cold we just i don't know they maybe they'll just freeze to death or they're not gonna be up here anyway <laughs> they get to the border and they're like nah fuck this <laughs> it's too cold yeah it's... <laughs> we'll see you down in, in rio they feel i've known a couple i've known some gun nuts they they feel pretty it, it is it, it is specific to that like the people that would live in that area like mm. just in the middle of absolutely nowhere with a whole bunch of shit like waiting out the end of the world like we don't know when it's going to happen so let's just go where the world's already ended basically <laughs> just hang mm. out here <laughs> mm. and, like, uh and I, I think I think also the the that might be like an archetype of the desert where just people just go to get away to like just create their own weird world uh in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, like, well I like, guess Oh go ahead. I was just gonna say it's like like you just don't want to wait for the apocalypse, so you're just like, I'll just move somewhere where it already looks like it happened. Where where yeah. there is an apocalypse, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the desert, I mean, obviously for the actual monster itself has to be kind of in that environment, but it's, uh, yeah, the desert does feel like a place where something like this could happen, where there could suddenly just be like this underground monster worm thing that just 
appears and like they never explain where it comes from and it doesn't matter maybe they do in some of the sequels badly actually i think at one point they do say like oh they are from outer space but which doesn't make sense honestly because they're under the earth so what <laughs> but anyway <laughs> it was i remember in in the documentary that i watched um they the, they asked the writers that like you know where'd they come from and we, was that ever going to be a thing and they said yeah like we talked about it and according to them they said there were four for like explanations in sci-fi as to where the monster came from and one of them is radiation like radioactive fallout i guess one of them is biological engineering or experimentation one of them is outer space and then the other is uh they've always been there mm-hmm. and they throw all of those out in the movie like when they're yeah. crowdsourcing like what's it about they everyone like throws it in there and then they're just like Meh, we don't know which actually feels correct to me because you wouldn't if you were that character you're not going to find out the origin story you're just like ah we have to get the hell out of here right so yeah yeah the fact that that's forgotten is uh, a testament yeah i think to the good writing in this and also like like not shit like that that's a good example of like stuff if you're if you're creating a narrative to not worry about too much like Mm -hmm. no one knows who fucking melvin belonged to but you're probably the only person that's ever noticed that. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's a, there's a straight up like hole in this, but who the fuck cares? <laughs> well, and that's classic sci-fi, like sh- like short stories, which I think is one of the best forms of sci-fi. You just they usually just chuck you in, some stuff happens, and then you're done, and there's no good explanations usually for anything, and then it's just like, and and that's it. <laughs> Make of it what you will. That feels more like life, though. <laughs> yeah, like this yeah. this crazy thing happened. I don't know what that was all about. Moving on. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe Melvin's always been there. Maybe there's always been an obnoxious <laughs> little kid. Yes, maybe- well, kind of he the archetype of the shithead teenager that everyone's like, oh, <laughs> fuck off. Like, <laughs> maybe he came from space. <laughs> Melvin's yeah. an alien. <laughs> maybe it was radiation. Uh, I mean, the 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 graboids are basically cryptids. Is more or less. Oh yeah, what, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, it, it, it's this unlike that, and I I think that's actually that's and you're right. It's closer to like you're just most things are mysteries. You're just not gonna know. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this movie, it doesn't matter because it's just they create problems, and it's a the movie's about like surviving the problems and mm-hmm. people coming together and like, um. Yeah, it's guys oh, move so great. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the number one reason for its success, and I I would I would go to bat on this like, it's and there's one reason in my opinion, and it's because it tapped into the psychology of everyone who's ever been a kid and played the floor as lava. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, and and part of part of that. And and that's like like my wife is Danish. She played Flora's Lava. They didn't have we didn't have internet then. Like it's a uni- it's like a human thing. Like I, I imagine people everywhere in the world play Flora's Lava when they're kids. At one point, my four year old was like, "The floor is lava," and I was like, "I never taught her that, so I guess she just <laughs> learned it from someone at daycare, or she just got the download of the universal Flora's Lava thing." And and then all of a sudden, she's just standing on the couch, and I was like, "Okay." It's a thing. Well, when we're going back to like uh, very base level human fears, 
the idea that you can't trust the ground that you need to stand right. on is yeah. it's a very deep existential fear that I don't think a lot of people even recognize on the surface, but that is a terrifying thing. And I think that's why kids play with it because it's like, a, what if this wasn't dependable yeah. uh, kind of what, question? What, but then it, it also it, makes like things fun. Like they're leaning in the fucking window to pick up the phone upside down and like <laughs> all this stuff that like children love. So I think anybody that saw this was just like all these dreams come true. Like for instance, when I was a kid and the house flooded, I just thought it was really cool. Like my parents were freaked out, but I'm like, there's water in the house. It's the same. Do you think it'll get up to like the ceiling? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I could go swim in the house. That's so cool. Yeah. And they're like, God, I fucking hope not. Like we only have bricks under these, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess I guess you could if you wanted to put like a Morris uh Darwin Darwinian bend on it. It's like if if you lived in a tree, the floor is dangerous because that's where all the predators are, right? So there is like a there is some sort of component to it there. It's yeah. either that or at one point the entire earth was just lava and that's that's sort of like well, those ancestral memories. Well that is that if is you, all yeah. The, if you uh, believe the scientists, then yeah, that was essentially true. Well, even if we weren't monkeys, like even if we don't have like the that that kind of shared ancestral mm -hmm. memory, like we're told, um, I don't fucking know if we do or not, but like if even if not, mammals in general, like they were surviving in the shadow of the like the leftover dinosaurs for mm -hmm. a long time, and they like would come out of a hole or down from a tree or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're down from yeah. a weird spiky mushroom thing. I don't know. Yeah, the they're the one of the writer guys, I don't remember his name, but he said that yeah, the idea for him came. He was he was in that area, I think, or maybe it was he was he was in the military. Um, and he was like doing training exercises or something, and he was sitting up on a rock and he looked down and he was like, What if I couldn't get off this rock? Like, what if Mm. what what if i i could you know and that was he just like wrote that down and put it in a file folder and he just kept he just kind of sat on that for a while and then that eventually became tremors and side note i was like wait so you were in the military and you were doing training exercises where you had to stay up on a rock what the fuck were you guys doing out there but <laughs> anyway let my conspiracy brain go off but yeah so that that's the official explanation from him about where that came from he was out there blasting fucking cryptids yeah yeah the they were they they opened up a Stranger Things portal and graboids came through. Tremors is the next closure. Yes, the next the next disclosure meeting. They're just gonna put on Tremors 1990. And they're gonna be oh, like, man. this was real. So and that's why I disagreed a little bit with the guy being like, oh, there are only four explanations for sci-fi because I was like, well, what about the magical explanation? Like they came from a portal from the upside down or, or whatever. Oh, nope, now it's but, fantasy. Well, sure. And so <laughs> at, so when I was a kid, I was a hardcore fantasy nerd and sci-fi and fantasy were very different. You know, sci-fi was spaceships and fantasy was dragons and, and swords. And I was into the dragons and swords, not as much into the spaceships. And then at some point, I remember the bookstores started squishing them together. And I was like offended because I was like, no, spaceships over there, dragons over here. Why are they together on the same shelf? <laughs> but I, I, I see I see the logic. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't really matter anyway. But um, but yeah, so I was like, what about the magical explanation, bro? What about what about that? The Graboids just appear. Like, I don't know. A wizard cast a spell and Graboids were the result. I don't know. Melvin like, clear, clearly is cast a spell. <laughs> he is a dark wizard. Yeah. He's the dark wizard. Them. 
I'd really like to see them merge in a successful animist sort of way, like to to get like solar punk animist uh, uh, fantasy that's all woven together. That would be good. Well, I think I think that's kind of where like it's always it's been slowly. I mean, that's what the Final Fantasy series are. Is this like weird melding of like like sci-fi technology and fantasy magic tropes that so that's been kind of happening for a while. Yeah, um, which is good. I think back in the 90s, <clears throat> science was like, it was like it was different, right? It was like, no. And we were, I think there was a real big push, it still is, to find the materialist explanations for stuff. You know, I just think of all these lines in movies like Jumanji where, uh, oh, it's got to be magnets or something. And then, you know, in the in the modern one, you know, it's like, oh, it must be microchips or something like no, this is a magical game that takes you to some like terrifying place in some other realm. Who knows? Um, but yeah, that, that I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. But yeah, no, I I, I think um, well, it's it's almost more like a hand wave. Like oh yeah, there's there's maybe a but but, but Jumanji is a ridiculous one because there's no. There's no technological explanation for anything that <laughs> happens in Jumanji. No, it, I remember it was a throwaway line. Like the kids were like, oh, it's got to be because that's what we go like. We try to comfort ourselves being like, there's got to be a scientific explanation for this. Right. Kind of like with the Graboids, like they needed to kind of talk through that to be like, where did these come from? And then they, you know, they agreed to like just not even think about it because they had to survive. But but they had to have the conversation, I guess, Um, I guess in a in a true like in a magical haunted world would they have even bothered i Mm. guess you'd still question where the monsters come from but yeah i think you'd still ask but also it would be not it wouldn't necessarily be an attempt to put the jumanji board back in the box right Right. it's like this thing oh this thing's really big and things aren't supposed to be this big so i need to find a way to shrink this back down a little bit so it's manageable Art, art would be like, wh- where do I need to leave the fruit and incense? What cave do I need to go to? <laughs> <laughs> to placate the the worm gods that are that are pissed with us. Yeah. I'd be like trying to elevate the guy with the elephant gun. Like, he's got to be a ghost. <laughs> Maybe we can turn him into a friend. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. I, I don't know what my role would be. I would be... I don't know, just running probably. I would just be one of the <laughs> like, ah. trying to figure out how to become part of the game and be like the person that that oversees when other people find it. But just stay in. That would be fun. An endless magical imagine? jungle. <laughs> I'm gonna run and get well, coffee. You guys keep talking. I can hear you. So okay. oh, uh... I mean, that's kind of secretly what happened with uh, with Robin Williams in the first one, anyway. With what? Where he? Oh, yeah, he got stuck in the he game, got trapped yeah. in there, and that was his thing yeah. for a long time. Yeah, I don't think uh, that was a very positive experience for him, though. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> though the fact that he could bounce back as soon as they summoned out there and be like a somewhat functional human, like obviously not so much, but he wasn't just like a shivering like train wreck of a like i just feel like it would not go well i don't know i mean i was surprised by how much i liked the new jumanji though actually it was um, good it yeah, was really good. i was yeah. prepared to hate it but i was like you know what i'm kind of into this good job dwayne Johnson. yeah they, they did it i actually it's funny because i haven't i haven't seen the original one in a million years i don't even mm. 
Uh, I barely remember it. Uh, but they did a surprisingly, I like, I think that's probably the best thing that rock has been in. Maybe <laughs> he doesn't, um, he doesn't, actually... it's a, yeah, it's except a good for, one. I'm trying to remember his it, movies. Except for the the first time he shows up in Fast and the Furious. I forget which Fast and the Furious that is, but that's the best. I don't think Fast I've seen Fur- that one. Okay. Oh, it's, I, I, I'm a purist. I like the first Fast and Furious. Okay. This one is this one is <laughs> worth going. I it's four or five. I don't remember. I think it's fast yeah, five. Yeah, I tapped out after like two, so <laughs> it, it that fast five is I legitimately fantastic. It's a okay. lot of fun. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's, I will say if those movies came on, I would probably watch it because the, like they're so ridiculous that yeah. you just watch it, you know, like, you know what you're in for. You're not going to have a life changing epiphany watching this movie. It's just <laughs> going to be like pretty fun and stupid. So so have have a good time. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe you're like, maybe I should drive faster. Maybe that's uh, we started talking about Fast and Furious. I don't actually want to talk about Fast and Furious, though. <laughs> no, yeah. no, it was just an aside. I've been meaning to watch one of those. Somebody said, like, one of them is a masterpiece, and I forget which one. Well, Kurt said it's the fifth one? The one with Dwayne the Johnson. That one's really good. Yeah, well, it's the any, first time. The Rock, and it's going to be, like, at least not a waste of your time because he's yeah. a person. <laughs> I just watched Moana on the weekend with my daughter, and it's solid. I mean, it's it's his voice, oh, it's obviously, because it's animated, but it's it's a, that movie actually gets me. Oh, man, because oh, this yeah. is an example, I think, of Disney doing, like, paying attention because it's very animist, and it's very much about, like, ancestors. So it hits. It hits home, literally, for me in a big way. Yeah, that movie has this weird. My wife and I were both talking about this. Like, we just get weepy watching it for some oh, reason. The whole time, I'm just like kind of crying low key the whole time. <laughs> like it's it's. I mean, I I can cry at the drop of a hat. I've got a lot of cancer placements in my chart and stuff, so whatever is a thing. Um, but yeah, it's oh, oh man, I cry. Yeah, I cry like seven times. Like. <laughs> but so does my husband so we just sit there quietly and our daughter's not there yet so she's just like we're just like it's just fine it's fine it's just beautiful it's her grandma it's good (laughs) (laughs) i mean you know i get weepy at tremors too no i'm just kidding really where which part i don't think i no there's there's literally no sad moments like at no. all. even all the people who die, which yeah, I don't know. That that's kind of interesting. Usually, there's supposed to be some kind of tragedy, and you like you like the characters, but you know when they I don't know. I think I was saddest when when the shopkeeper dies, Chang, which yeah, is a yeah, brutal actually, death too, yeah. and they drag him down in there. It's like ah, like that's no good. I mean, it's yeah. It he re- he retired had. from Big Trouble in Little China, and this is where he ended up. And- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's got to be like the same character in my like in my <laughs> mind. This is just the continued universe. Yeah. Um. But that's partly why it made me sad too. I I was a little bit sad by the the old couple, the guy that goes straight down into the sand. Yeah. Like the way she's like yelling oh, yeah. for him and digging through the sand to yeah. find him. Like that was a little yeah. bit. But it's right in the beginning. It's like let's get your feels out of the yeah. way. Yeah, and you don't know them enough to like. I guess that's the other thing. This is a '90s movie. It's fast, like, and that's another thing that makes it so good, right? Like, it's it's fast paced. You're not bored ever, um, but then you don't get to spend as much time with the the early characters, right? Like, they're just oh, they're gone. So move on. But 
but what's interesting is they too feel complete. Like they feel like real oh, people. Yeah. The doctor and yeah. his wife and they're building a house on the edge of town. Like that's totally a thing. You're like, uh, yep, that story checks out. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's them. Yeah. Yeah. And that also, scene, I'm sorry, is so good though. Like in at night, like pulling the car down and stuff. The lights, I think what, the one of, yeah, the, one of the moments in movies that I like, again, of course it's from this movie, but it's just so haunting is when Val and Earl show up the next day and they hear the the radio and they're like, what's going on? And then they start digging and they uncover like the front grill of the car. Like, it's just so creepy. <laughs> they're just like, what? Like, what is happening? Right. It's the lights that do it. Like, because yeah. light should never come out of the earth. Like, you just mm-hmm. get this visceral sort of like something's fucking wrong. here. Even even beyond the like what this means mm-hmm. for the person inside. It just gets you. There's a lot of that turning, kind of turning the tables on the way things, you think things should move. And like, just like that and all those, uh, the mechanics of just like staying off the ground, but, but the, uh, like the pole vaulting shit, that's also some oh, shit yeah. I would do when I was a kid. Um, It just, it plays with all that stuff in a very childlike sort of like, <clears throat> how much fun can we have uh, mm. while, while running from monsters? Like if if you just deleted the monsters and put children in there, it would just look like a normal day with kids playing. <laughs> <laughs> Except it would probably be one kid crawling around on the ground, going rah, rah, that would be the... yeah. <laughs> Same amount of guns though. Yeah, <laughs> more guns. Every stick is a gun. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it's these it's these pauses where we're where I'm like. Should I have a question written down somewhere? Yeah. Well, it's not really your guys' format though, right? I guess if you want to move into that, you could. I'm thinking I'm thinking it might at some point cuz there's something nice about a concise thing. We I, I'm never going to fucking edit it, but uh Yeah. Oh, but you did you said you looked up the charts of both. Yeah. Fred Ward I- I did. Well, so so the thing is when you're an astrologer and you're um watching movies, you will pull the charts of the of the actors at some point. Usually, I have to actually physically restrain myself from not looking them up because, as you go, you I don't know, you just start guessing. You're like, what sign are they? You know, what's going on in their chart? And and it's fun to guess. And so when I was, of course, I did that this time. And actually, it had been a little while since I had watched Tremors, so I hadn't hadn't really played that game yet. So I was having fun like figuring it out. Though the the thing is, you kind of get. Like you can get vibes from the characters, but mm-hmm. that's not the actor. Like that's, that's, you know, that. So, it, you know, it's fun to like say, ooh, what would Val be, you know? And I was getting big Pisces vibes from him, um, but that's not Kevin Bacon. Like Kevin Bacon's not really Pisces. And like, yeah, I looked at his chart. I don't think he has anything. No, he doesn't have any Pisces. He has a cancer son though. He's born a few days after me. And yeah, no. so I mean, so he has some water, but- but not the Pisces type of water. That makes sense to me. He he actually just seems like a really sweet dude. Yeah, yeah. He's got a Cancer Sun and Midheaven. Oh no, wait, never mind. We do not know his time, so don't know what his angles are. But yeah, Cancer Sun. He's got an Aries Moon though, and an Aries Mars. So he's a little. That's where his little fire comes from, I guess. Is there I mean, anything yeah. for dancing? Is there any Anything for dancing. dancing. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me think. Well, where's his Venus? Venus in Gemini and Jupiter in Libra. 
I don't know if that's a dancing signature per se, <laughs> but that's not that's not him. That's his character. So, <laughs> yeah. Fred Ward, we have an accurate chart. He's a. Oh, yeah, he's opposite. He's this is also maybe why they're so good together. Uh, he's a Capricorn sun. So opposite ends of the year. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, Aquarius rising. So he's he's got like some Capricorn, more Capricorn, more Saturn sort of focus in his chart. Which totally even makes sense with the the character he was playing. Like Earl is the more like, well, trying to have his shit together a little bit more. <laughs> like, yeah, get her done. But um, yeah, lovely Jupiter in Cancer. Oh, he's a Libra moon like me. Yay, maybe that's why I like him. <laughs> he's just a really likable dude too. Yeah, like they're both likable. And then together they just have that amazing chemistry where they, I don't know, they just... They complete each other in such a good yeah, way. It's, it's sort of shocking that there's not more movies with them. Like, I think this is the only one they did together, isn't it? So. Uh, as far as I know. Well, and Fred Ward didn't have as big of a career. Well, certainly not as Kevin Bacon, right? But, um, yeah. which is a little surprising to me because he seems like a great actor, but. You kind of. Yeah, it's kind of. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say he kind of looks like the guy that plays punisher what's his fucking name oh that could be his like dad (laughs) punisher's dad yeah they do look alike what the i don't know what that guy's name is he he shows up as like small parts in a million things though yeah Mm -hmm. he's the dead brother in the bear like he's like a central figure that you never see (laughs) really (laughs) like except in a couple flashbacks (laughs) he usually the movies i've seen him he's usually like a traitor of some sort yeah, well, he was the mm. chain from The Walking Dead, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was how I knew him. I actually liked that I saw Punisher because like, it redeemed him for me because I only ever knew that guy as like, the shitty guy from Walking Dead. So, mm. <laughs> yeah. And it also gave him, I think, a better gig for like going around to Comic-Cons and stuff because he would go around and do what it was like the the Walking Dead Comic-Cons and he was the character mm. that everyone's like, ugh, that guy. Now he's just the <laughs> Punisher. So he's like, oh, hey, look, there's the Punisher. I think season one of Punisher was the last Marvel thing that I enjoyed a little bit. I kind of liked that. But after that, I don't think I've tried anything that I didn't yeah. go wash my mouth. I, I've i tapped out of Marvel big time. I like Jessica Jones, but I don't remember if that was before or after Pen- Punisher. And I didn't like the second one as much. So, yeah, whatever. Same, same. Yeah, well, those, God, uh, David Tennant as a bad guy was something else, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> everything about that show is really that first season was really damn good but uh so with this uh with this chart we before we got on the record we were she pulled up oh, the yeah. chart. we were trying to figure out when the movie was born like where yeah where is a movie birthed into the world and it's such an interesting question because there's so much conception and gestation time and then there's a premiere and then there's opening day to the public. And I think, what, did we land on like opening day, East Coast, earliest time zone public? Or did so we opening in Hollywood? I, yeah, I did I did opening day and I did Hollywood. So LA, I think okay. you could certainly make a case for, and I, I wouldn't accept this as the, as the chart. Like it was just a chart I pulled to see planets and signs. Um, if you wanted to get like a specific chart with the angles, I think you could, I think accepting like the, the first movie theater that opened, like that played it. And 
you'd have to do so much digging though to try to find out where that was. We're assuming mm-hmm. like New York or somewhere in the East Coast. And then what time did the movie theater open? It might be a little tricky to find that in the 1990. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. It, it could be done though. Um, but there, you could also make a case for, well, how, you, how would you even find this out though, right? Like the first time they put it in front of a test audience or mm. yeah, when, I don't know, if because it, it's such premiere. a process to create a movie. Yeah, the premiere, I, well, because they- But you can't really find the time either. No, right? like, yeah. yeah, like that's going to be lost. You're going to have to call up like the director and be like, hey, did you, do you have a diary? Did you write down like the date <laughs> yeah. and the time where you, you did this? <laughs> It's still um, a fun question to think of it, like the actual manifestation. Oh, yeah. Where does that occur? Yeah. yeah. Well, so, I mean, the chart for for January 19th, 1990, I mean, that's when it was released, um, has a huge stellium in Capricorn, like a huge one, like Uranus, Mercury, Neptune, Saturn, <laughs> Venus, and the sun. Um, <laughs> and then it's got uh, Moon and Pluto in Scorpio, Jupiter in Cancer, and then Mars and Sag. Fred Ward has a Mars and Sag too, actually. So, hmm. yeah. So that actually resonates really well with with Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward's chart because, like, Fred Ward is a Capricorn Sun, like the the movie, and uh, Kevin Bacon is the Cancer Sun, and Fred Ward has the Jupiter and Cancer too. So there's actually some some good synastry, um, yeah, with with that. So I can see like how this kind of played out, but yeah, all that Cap energy. I mean, that's like it. So Mercury was also stationing that day, though, which is that sucks. So that might also explain why it totally tanked oh. at the box office. Mm, oh, it was stationing sense. direct, not retrograde still uh, around the stations. Like we're in the middle of a Mercury retrograde right now, flaunting the heavens by recording a podcast. But <laughs> it's OK. It's, we'll yeah. just pretend we're already re-recording it and then it's OK. There you go. I yeah. think we're wearing enough amulets that, uh, like, I know at least two I, of the ones I'm wearing do astrological what? remediation, and I've had zero problems with mercury. I right put on too. exalted mercury oil before we started, so yeah, I think <laughs> I think we're okay. Venus is a different fucking story this time. Venus has been a little bit of a bitch, but yeah, has has it been a rough retrograde? This was way spicier. I totally downplayed this. I was like, yeah, a Venus retrograde, yeah, okay, that's nice, and this one freaking slapped me around. Let me tell you, yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. Um, uh, I had like a uh, an very old, uh, like an ex that we've been friends for like 15 years. We dated for like two. So it's it's a friend, right? But um, mm-hmm. that I haven't talked to in a very long time. And I talked to him the other day and then we got off the phone and I could feel all this shit shifting around inside. It was like the process of just communicating opened the channel for stuff to start healing and then it turns out like the same sort of thing happened for her so it's like all this past stuff that had somehow still been buried for fucking years just like mm-hmm. now is the time and there were all these sinks that led me to to even call her this week and she had had all these things leading up to it it was like very important you meet around this time so your spirit teams can take care of some bullshit that you guys got lingering um but you know it's it's never easy like there's all this introspection like I, for me, I think this landed in my self, first house, so it was not mm-hmm. exactly. I was just gonna of. ask what your charts like. Yeah. So you're Leo rising. Yeah. Okay. Same. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. The Leos. <laughs> yeah. And it's uh, it's funny. Oh I no, I no, I'm it. not a Leo rising. I'm sorry. I'm Leo Moon. I'm. 
still counts. I'm a Taurus <laughs> rising. Oh, I'm a Taurus rising too. Oh, okay. So you're Taurus rising like me and Curtis Leo moon like me. That's great. Yeah. I will remember. Okay, cool. Sort so of. fixed sign though. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely going to affect fixed signs more. And then, so Taurus rising, so ruled by Venus. So yeah, obviously any Venus retrograde is going to be more important usually to the to the Venus ruled folks. Oh yeah. I'm and double, I knew that. I'm double Venus ruled, so. Same, which is it your sun or your moon then? That's sun. also sun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my moon is in Libra, so I get that. Yeah, I got just hella sick all throughout the Venus, um, the shadow period leading up to the retrograde. Mm. And then the day that she stationed retrograde was like the peak of the illness. And I broke out in this like gnarly, and this is TMI, I don't care, uh, full body rash. Like literally my skin was like burning and red and it was moving like extremely fast. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And, uh, and then it just disappeared. Like the next day, it just like faded. Um, so talk about Venus in a fire sign. Yeah. Um, and, and then, so I was fine since then, but so I'm pretty low key worried that when we hit the next station and then she goes back through those degrees that like something's coming back for me, but like, hopefully that was it. And it was just this weird initiatory type of thing. But I mean, this, it's been so classic. Like I have a friend who <laughs> she's literally getting a divorce, like, like initiated divorce in the Venus retrograde period. And I found out that she got together with her husband in a Venus retrograde in Leo, like several years ago. And I was just like, oh man, that's very literal. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I've heard from a few other people of similar things and it's, and it's kind of like the dark sides of Venus, um, especially things like overindulgences, overdoses and stuff hmm. kind of makes perfect sense, right? Like Venus is all about good times and pleasurable wine and food and drugs and stuff. And if you take that too far, then well, yeah. Oh, I also think the the sort of stuff that it stirs up during a Venus retrograde is the it's on the same sort of emotional frequency as the the drug stuff as like intoxicant stuff so yeah the you know you, you if you were intellectually uh like uh fixated on something that you can't stop thinking about a problem you're trying to solve or something it might not be the same sort of you might just try to stay busy in a different way or something but there's mm -hmm. there's something about the emotional potency that almost like requires you to like, you want to fucking drink or something like that, right? Like you want to get fucked up. It's really interesting how they come hand in hand. It's like, you only have access to the really difficult shit at the same time that you're going to really want to like hide from it. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's underworld shit, right? Like, yeah, it's digging, digging up stuff from the deep. So, so yeah, lesson learned. I mean, I'm not going to underestimate Venus retrogrades <laughs> anymore. Not that I, I know, uh, I feel like I just downplayed it because there was so much going on in the first half of 2023, like all these major outer planet ingresses and stuff. So that, that got my attention. I think it got most people's attention. And so then the second half of this year was like, and there's a Venus retrograde. Okay. You know, um, so I, we didn't, I feel like I personally did not give Venus her due. So I'm, apologizing and working on that <clears throat> it's almost over isn't it though like doesn't yes. it yes it ends yeah, sunday or monday next week uh yeah on the third fourth 
for as for an astrologer i lose track of planets and time constantly and my excuse is that i'm looking at all of the times all the time so um, like you get lost in charts and and then you're like well, I don't know what's happening what yeah so it's the station's coming up yeah it'll be um yeah it looks like the third to the fourth depending on where you are so yeah and it's it's funny because I I hang out with my ex and her husband <laughs> that day or the day before or something where she's actually yeah. coming into town and we're hanging yeah um yeah really really weird. Oh, I was going to ask, because uh, I am I continue to be like an astrology idiot. Like, I listen to everybody talk about this stuff, but it just never, there's always a shorthand, and I just never actually yeah. end up connecting with the show. So you're saying like there's a stellium in Capricorn. Which, yeah. What does that, what does that, what does that mean? That means there's a bunch of planets in Capricorn. Okay. It, does that just mean it's like an extra Capricorn-y thing? Yes. More or less. So when, yeah. yeah, whenever you get stellium, I mean, so that just means lots of planets in one sign. Um, and so it it reemphasizes that sign big time because all of the planets are are in it. So you're number one, you're just getting like a huge dose of that sign's energy. And then the other thing too is when you look at a chart, right? So there's the 12 signs, and each sign is ruled by a different planet. Um and so if you have all of the planets in one sign, that means like pretty much all the chart is being ruled by whoever rules the sign where everyone is. And so in this chart, then it would be Saturn and Saturn isn't capping that. So he's just kind of calling all the shots for, for the whole shebang. Um, yeah. So it, it kind of is, it, it leads to different interpretations, right? So you go, okay, so Saturn's the big boss of this chart. Um, I mean, looking at the chart of a movie, where Saturn is, you know, the overall, we call it a final dispositor, which is another astro word, whatever. So he's, <laughs> he's the big boss in charge of, I know there's so many terms. I feel so bad final when dispositor. I'm talking I, You're like final dispositor. Like, Doesn't it sound like, cool though? Well, it's also funny. Cause you were like, we've lost so much. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm, there's like no <laughs> thought of the astrology. So what is long? <laughs> like, I don't even, what the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> can it we use that... a little bit more before i start <laughs> yeah right um so yeah saturn's a big boss man right and then with like mercury stationing close by and everything else in saturn like i can see what like this is just a terrible chart for releasing a movie to make money i mean sure you've got a really nice jupiter but that's totally overwritten, I think, by everything else going on. And the moon is in Scorpio, which the moon doesn't like being in Scorpio. It's well, it's, you know, it's opposite um, where the moon is exalted in Taurus. So, yeah. So basically, it's got kind of like a crappy moon and it's Saturn ruled in a big way and Mercury is stationing. So it's like, yeah, clearly they didn't have an astrologer on staff when they picked that <laughs> um, that release date because that's but not it, great. But I guess it would mean that like it's... It, it never goes away. Like there's a, the, cause it's, yeah. a, it's just a slow. The endurance of Capricorn and, and Saturn. Yeah. So that yeah. was there, but it was like the definition of a slow burn, I guess. Right. Where uh, yeah. the release date sucked, did not go well, but there's something in this that like went long-term. Right. Yeah. The, the interesting thing to me is that this chart describes the, the movie, right? Like the, like all the, the, earthy uh capricorn stuff and the then structure like, is getting broken down literally by the yeah, graboids yeah. like the the foundation of mm -hmm. all life like is no longer dependable that it's and also it's the buildings they're standing on <laughs> like being yeah. torn down yeah. yeah 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 and that's uh it almost seems like 
a cosmic thing that it was more important that it came out on the day that mm -hmm. made sense with its personality than it did a good release date to make money. Yeah. I mean, as I study this stuff more, I lean so much more into the fate side of things. I mean, yes, we free, free will fate, blah, I'm not trying to have that conversation, but I just see, cause I'm paying attention to that timing. So working for like a, a major corporation is always fun because they do things like announce a new app on the day that Mercury is stationing retrograde and it's going to be released partway through the Mercury retrograde period. And I'm like, that's going to go well, not like, there's just so many, like I'm, I have to go travel during that same period where, you know, time periods where you should not be doing these things, but like, it's like, you're forced into doing it anyway, even so I'm, it's like watching the train coming and I can't, I'm just there watching it. <laughs> and so it's kind of fun. As long as I like literally just accept, like I have no control over this situation. This is just fates just kind of just going. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think you have to get up to like a, a Rockefeller level before you're, you're using as astrology for business moves. Uh, I wouldn't want to see, I would not want to be that job. It's <laughs> like what I was talking about in that podcast oh, I no. mentioned earlier. Like, a, yeah, like a consulting astrologer for like a millionaire or billionaires, like, no, that's way too high stakes. I like just looking at it and laughing at the timing. Um, but being small potatoes is a bit, it's safer and I'm okay with that. I mean, yeah, for some of those people, you might do one, <laughs> like one little session for them. And then like, you're at the bottom of a river. Because <laughs> that, yep. that question, <laughs> the one question they had can never be known that they asked it. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, not into that. I do wonder, like from time to time, I wonder when I, when you see the timing out there, like tremors, I would be super willing to bet that there was no astrologer on staff or at least not one who is there to be an astrologer and they didn't consult anything like you never know, but probably not. And if, if they did get this time, so like, then you should be fired because yeah, that's, that's not a good release date, yo. But, um, actually I heard that Barbie had an astrologer on staff. I literally just saw something <laughs> on social media yesterday, <laughs> but I, and so I didn't look into it, but I was like, okay. I mean, the, um, Chris Brennan from the astrology podcast did a big thing on Barbie and astrology and Venus retrograde actually. So it's, I mean, it certainly fits, right? Especially the whole Barbenheimer, like um, Barbie, Venus retrograde in a fire sign, Leo, like, yeah, <clears throat> story checks out. Mm. Yeah. I'm not sure what it is, but my instincts tell me there's something weird about the double release. Like, I don't know what it is. It's just like that. I smell something funny on this. Mm -hmm. I, I can't back it up, but. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Well, now they're just trying to force it. So like be prepared for a bunch of weird double features, I think, because it worked so well this time. Yeah. I'm just waiting for the like celebrity marriage between like Killian Murphy and somebody from Barbie, like <laughs> whether it's Greta Gerwig or, you know, the main. I really hope it's Ryan Gosling. Yeah, I was that... going to suggest Ryan Gosling. <laughs> I'm here for that. I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. I uh, That would be amazing. Yeah. <sighs> but there, I mean, we, it is basically like, like, and I, I haven't seen Barbie, but like from everything I've heard, uh, you know, all the right wing people are being tools and all the uh, oh, like, I, oh, of course they are. Right. Um, like from what I've heard, it doesn't sound like it's any kind of like nefarious agenda movie whatsoever. It sounds mm -hmm. like clever um, from what I've heard, really well done, interesting movie. 
whether or not you're into Barbie, it's it is what it is. But like the idea of social gender issues next to nuclear fear. Like <laughs> there's there's something going on <laughs> with this juxtaposition. <clears throat> it's a little on point, I guess. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think yeah, I don't know. Again, it's really hard to tell because the universe is intelligent, right? Like Tremors comes out on the day that's best for its personality and not for the box office. So right. even if they didn't have an astrologer, it 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 could still it could be just the universe doing that, like even with the astrologer. But mm-hmm. um but also then you have to consider how much like um intelligence money goes into Hollywood. So there's all this like big blurry Venn diagram stuff where I guess I guess my uh I, I, that's why I fall back to like it smells funny because there's no so, well <laughs> there's no way we're to back to bar we're we're back to tremors is disclosure is Barbie disclosure is Oppen- well Oppenheimer kind of is disclosure <laughs> <clears throat> yeah well it, it is interesting to take the guy that worked on the bomb and sort of make him the, the main so that you can you know humanize him um, yeah, I guess I should I guess I should see it. I mean, I didn't really have any desire to see it. Um, but I am curious to know if they make him really sympathetic. I assume they they will because it's Hollywood, but I don't actually know. Um, he was just a guy. I really know very little about Oppenheimer um, on a personal level. Like, I don't know if he was just sort of like obsessed with what he could do um and damn the consequences or maybe he did know what the consequences could be but maybe he had the backers who were like no you're doing this like who funded who funded that was it the government was it both military and government i don't know yeah i believe it was the military it was the military uh uh wait because i'm trying to remember the i've actually been to the the atomic uh, atomic bomb museum in las vegas okay uh, it, which is that whole area is very actually it's funny because it's the desert right and, and like that's mm-hmm. that's what makes the like graboids being nuclear uh or radioactive mutation that sort of gives it context because it's nevada and and nevada is just a strange place mm-hmm. like this very lo- and mm-hmm. and they had photos of the testing area and it looks like the moon because it's all of these craters. Like spoiler so alert. Many... Spoiler yeah. alert. It is the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um I don't know what I was saying now. I'm sorry. That's okay. Nevada is a weird place and it looks like the moon because it is the moon. And yeah. Uh no, no, that's see that now we're doing disclosure. See, I'm just letting everybody know that Nevada's the moon. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, that's not it's not that's not a spherical object in the sky. It's just a paper plate, uh, and there's a moon goblin that spins it in front of us, and that's that's what's going on. Yeah, spinning it on a stick. <laughs> <laughs> to to lend some credence to the they came from space, even though they're ground creatures, they could have been in some kind of dormant seed-like rocky shell that was lodged inside a meteor true and then they landed in our soil and thought all right i can work with this just to well throw out a little idea for you yeah in the in the later movies they 
they actually they shift they change forms right which also kind of buys into the either the radiation mutation thing or I guess bioengineering type stuff or aliens I mean it could honestly be all three because in the second one that's where don't they they start beaching themselves and then the like little guys like rip out of the big worm and then they're like um terrestrial right like they're running around and they they're still blind but they have like little heat seeker things that pop up I'm, I'm remembering this mm-hmm. now it's been years since I saw it and yeah so then the whole thing is you can't be like in front of them because they'll see your infrared and attack. So that was, yeah, that was the second one. And then in the third one, they become ass blasters. And it's just, that's where I was like, Hey, I, I don't think I can watch any more tremors <laughs> sequels. Cause yeah, they literally call them ass blasters in the movie because <laughs> they, they become like rocket propelled out their buttholes and they shoot like 50 feet in the air and come down on you. Like it is as, as ludicrous as it sounds. <laughs> So this is where the creators were like, all right, let's smoke all of the joints and then come up with a movie concept. (laughs) Like, sure. I actually picture the person that wrote that idea down as someone who just has already completely given up. Yeah. Ass blasters. And someone was like, yes. (laughs) They're like, do you remember the memes from when Trump got elected? And it was like Uh, people like on the, it was like a picture of somebody on the floor with a syringe hanging out of the arm with just like bottles everywhere. It's like, that's the guy that wrote that idea. <laughs> oh my god. Fuck yeah. it. <laughs> well, and they weren't direct to VHS, right? So the stakes were pretty low. They didn't even try to do a box office thing for those. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of uh I I, I wonder going back to uh I don't know why, but going back to Oppenheimer Barbie, I wonder if they would have been just like whatever movies if there had been other movies out. Yeah. Like if Tremors were out right now, I think Tremors would have done about as good as Barbie. Well, yeah. And the other thing with Tremors, it was... So and this was a friggin' Mandela effect, which um, was kind of spooky. So Tremors came out on the same opening weekend as... Darn it. Okay, I got to look this up. Um, It's like a couple other like bigger films, right? So it kind of, it had that going um, against it. Mm. I'm trying to figure out. You said it was, it's January too, right? January 1990, yeah. Yeah, Um, January I think is traditionally like a bad movie time, I believe. I thought that too. I was like, who, like astrology aside, who picked January? Everyone's broke and tired from Christmas and not going to see movies. Like this seems like it should be a summer blockbuster or Mm -hmm. maybe release it at Halloween, you know, for the, like the monster movie thing, right? Um, but yeah, no, January. Okay, so what came out in January 1990? Born on the 4th of July and War of the Roses and Tango and Cash. Tango yeah. and Cash. <laughs> so, oh, those came out in December, but still. So, okay, okay, never mind. I'm looking on the wrong. What the hell? January 1990. I don't know why it's saying release date December 2022. Anyway, so it had some stuff <laughs> that it was um, competing against that like obviously did not go well. But then when, so when my husband and I looked up this initially, this was the Mandela effect thing, we could have sworn that Tremors came out on the same weekend that Die Hard 2 came out. And that's why, that's why it also tanked because everyone went to go see Die Hard 2. But Die Hard 2 actually came out in the summer. 
So what? I don't know. Maybe maybe he just like saw July, January, and like in his head thought like, but like wait, so wait, wait, we're sitting hold, on. Hold on, Die Hard like Two. Opposite. Die Hard Two didn't come out on Christmas, right? Yeah. No, it came out in July 1990, and Tremors came out in that... January 1990, according to the internet right now. But I swear to God, like six months ago when we looked this up, it said like the reverse. I yeah, know. because because the, the move the movies that those two movies feel revert like yeah. Die Hard Two is a winter Tremors movie. is in the summer, summer and Die Hard is at yeah. Christmas. So yeah, like yeah. what? <laughs> That's so strange. Yeah, Man. so I don't know. Maybe we were just drunk and we like didn't read the thing right, but. Uh, it was one of those things where we were like we lodged it in our memories we're like oh tremors came out on the same weekend as die hard 2 and that's one of the reasons why it bombed and then i looked it up right before for this episode right and and it was like no actually or is it or extra extra dimensional entities rewriting history to cause more cognitive dissonance (laughs) what's more likely let's be real I mean, over the last three years, I have seen internet results change basically in real time where I've like done the same Google search three days in a row or, you know, over a course of two weeks and get wildly different answers Mm -hmm. or at least very significantly different. So not to go there because I really don't want to talk about the pandemic, but I remember Googling at the start of it, the number of deaths due to the Spanish flu in after the World War One. And then I Googled it, like I Googled that on like a Friday and then on Monday I Googled it again. And then I, like a week later, I Googled it again and the body count increased like dramatically each time. And I was like, okay, I, you know what, I'm just going to put a pin in that and walk away because I don't really want to deal with what that means. Fact checking in the year 2040 will be intuition. (laughs) Yeah. It'll be intuition based because there's nothing yeah <laughs> it's it's either that or asking someone who was there that's about that's gonna be about the extent of it yeah like, but memory is memory can be fucked with too right like true yeah it i can. saw an article the other day that says uh mit scientists are building dream uh devices to hack your dreams fantastic so uh, they have already then i assume that well those th- exist. this means it's it's ready to start giving to corporate to fund the right. next CIA project, you know, because this has probably been in effect for like two decades or something. They've probably been using it in secret. So when you wake up with jingles in your head, you know, or thinking about certain products, like great. that was my joke was uh, it's, yeah. it's going to be like, try dream ad free dreams, like free <sighs> trial. No, they're not even going to, that won't even be an option. Um, Yeah, that, I, I'm I'm with you on the um like <laughs> I remember back not to talk about the pandemic itself, but I remember someone sending me some fact check stuff and mm-hmm. I was like, cool, let me check a fact for you. Oh look, Snopes is owned by the Royal Bank of Canada. <laughs> like, <laughs> <you> fucking idiots. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, uh, when I see a Snopes link, I just laugh and and then think <laughs> the opposite. I'm like, oh, thank you for proving that that is actually the opposite of what they're saying. Because yeah, yeah, yeah you can almost like parse out the truth by like the, the direct antithesis of what's being yeah claimed. Yeah. Uh, just a, just a backtrack for a time. I'm I'm a little I'm I'm a little suspicious about the whole narrative that our memories are not as. Uh, reliable as we'd like to as we think they are like i'm i'm a slightly mm. suspicious of that because uh, that in and of itself could itself. be what causes it to happen happen mm. yeah like I, I 
because I, I have pretty, I have, I've always had a pretty decent memory and like there's some memories I have that are very solid that have not altered over time. They've, they've kind of maintained uh, mm-hmm. the edges are fuzzy, but they're, but they're like, they, they're pretty solid and I can recount, recall things pretty well. So, so when I hear all that, heard the stuff about like, oh, you can't, you can't trust your memories. They, they're very fluid. They, they warp. And I'm like, I, I don't know if that's a hundred percent true. Maybe that's maybe for different people. Maybe it's more fluid for, for some people than others. I, I don't know. Like I, I'm just so suspicious of that as a thing. Well, it gets interesting yeah. right? because there's, there's your memory of you recalling and reconstructing things, right? Because they know that that's how it actually works. Or they say that you, you reconstruct like a fictional event that matches something, but it's like, they don't know where the something comes from. So I think it's sort of like a projector trying to interpret data that's like basically Akashic records. Because if you're doing like healing work or you're you're in you're in ceremony and some moment of trauma comes back to you, it is exactly how it ha- like it is like a tape recording of that event when those mm. things happen. For me they are anyway. And it's like no that everything is actually saved and remembered. And I think so- the memory of other beings is part of why we continue on. Like, I think there's something to the witnessing. Um, Sorry, go ahead, Mel. What do you make of then the like therapeutic techniques, which I think these are more mainstreamy, although I've seen some stuff more in the like magical space um, where you're basically rewriting your traumatic memories mainly, right? Like the the really bad ones. Um, So I'm thinking of some friends of mine who have done, I think it's part of CBT, so like cognitive behavioral therapy, which I'm I'm a little suspicious of, but whatever. Um, and so literally, he he went back into the memory. It was like a really it was a, a bad memory, and um, without really getting into it, you know, like he he you know, ancestor, grandpa, whatever was like really mean and and whatever, and that like really broke him in a way. And so he went back into that and like comforted his like younger self. And so now that his, so I guess it's not rewriting the memory, but he can't think it's, of that now without feeling the comfort that he gave to himself afterwards. So I don't know. I guess it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of what's rewrite, what's being rewritten is the narrative around the, like the narrative remains fluid. Like right. you can reframe a thing. Uh, but, but it's, it's like, um, like there's a gumball machine in my, in my room here like an old gumball machine and like so there's a memory associated with it and i could have like a positive or, or negative memory associated with that thing but the memory of it itself doesn't really change i don't know if that's i don't know if i'm actually explaining this very well it's but, more like the, the lens that you put over to give the tone of the tone yeah it's it's like the it's like if you if you were to change the color like like the screens we're looking right now if we were to dial the colors differently and it would it right. would have a different feeling to it it's like the feeling and the narrative can shift but but the thing still sort of stays there um i do think you could probably uh you could probably create a whole new memory and basically like shove that one aside and then so that when you when you when you remember it you don't connect to this thing you reroute it and go somewhere else but i still don't think that that other thing stops existing or right. it stops being a memory. I just don't think it's like you don't connect to it the same way. I, it's it's really hard to talk about, but like 
yeah i i think the um yeah i agree with you that it doesn't like it go away and i i don't remember who gordon got this from but he said like some he was quoting somebody that a a, a memory with power is trauma uh or or something like that or like a trauma is a power a memory with power and a memory with without power is just a memory and i kind of think that the replacing of a negative emotion with a good emotion like going back and reinstalling a good a positive feeling into your into that memory is still charging like you're still keeping that memory charged so like when when your friend thinks of that <clears throat> they're feeling mm -hmm. a response i think that the best way to go is the more like attention resonance healing stuff where you just hold the moment and don't judge it and don't be in it, but hold it uh, at like distance from you and just hold it and do nothing else until it kind of dissolves and reabsorbs. Um, I think that the taking the piss out of it is the idea. Like, cause mm -hmm. we are, imagine like you're trying to move forward through time, but you've got all these uh, tendrils tied to the past. Like there's all these emotions. Emotion is like Shakti, it's energy. So if you if you have all these really good memories, it can be just as dangerous because you might like good memories, you might long for them. You might long for those times. And that's like part of you is turning away from where you're going. Uh, part of you is like forlorn for a time that is not now or not future. Uh, so I, I think like the, energetically the most probably hygienic thing to do, which would be kind of just flatten it out and let it just be what it is. Yeah. And like nostalgia can be such a weapon. It can be such a, a negative thing. Like um, when you get stuck in that, that longing for what was, or maybe what wasn't even because I, again, maybe I like cancer the crab over here, but like I will have nostalgia sometimes for like something that didn't actually ex exist in the like the real world quote quote heavy air quotes here but yeah or for something that could have been so just that sense of longing and nostalgia anyway yeah the more you hang on to that with whatever memories be, be they real or even just fantasies like it's kind of keeping you tethered there um mm -hmm. yeah yeah there's a what you're talking about there's a specific phrase for it I feel like it's French or something probably uh, about that like longing for a thing that doesn't even that never existed like a nostalgia for something that never, I can't I can't remember what it's called but there is a, I think there's a specific term for that yeah um, I get nostalgia for like feeling nostalgic as a kid <laughs> if <that makes> <laughs> like there's this there's this smell in the air in about May around here May May early June early in the morning when it's a bit damp so it's like it's like late spring and I'm on my way to school or just because that's why I would be out at that time. And anyway, it's just so it's so vivid and visceral for me that when I smell that again, it like I'm back there. But it's it's more like being back in the feeling of nostalgia. I don't know. It's hard to describe. Mm. No, I know what you mean. I, I find that I don't get nostalgia that much these days. And sometimes I kind of miss that feeling. Uh, I think there's the the progression of the the Buddhist aspects of my practice of like, it, it takes a focus on, on not grasping and not indulging in those things. So you've detached enough. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't mean that you don't feel things, right. It, it just means that you're not 
there's no there's a lack of rapture and i think that mm-hmm. that's the most important thing because when when an emotion becomes very complete there's a sort of like relinquishing of your tethers that hold you in place and you like lose yourself in it like mm-hmm. um like there's a, a romantic quality to it um which isn't necessarily a bad thing if you can pop back into centered again but a lot of the time it can lead down a road that like can get you all twisted and like off kilter yeah i I think that what's well, interesting, right? Because like, there is something about uh, you touch into something nostalgic, but then if it can continue to grow and develop through time with you, mm-hmm. instead of just being this point in the past, like if there's also, I feel like if there's also something, if it continues to renew, I think there's something that's actually very powerful and useful about that. And like, because it's a, I, I don't know, it's like, what's like it's like this movie right like i i it should be a movie i'm nostalgic about and i guess i am to a certain degree but there's something that like it it doesn't i'm not i don't watch it and then like i think about all the times oh i remember when i was a kid and like this is why i really like it is because i watched it as a kid it's not that it's like it just in itself is good and and every time i revisit it there's there's little things that like evolve and then like because i'm an older person i notice different things about it and I like that's something that I think is really valuable because it's uh, it's this touchstone that like you 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 sense how you've grown and aged with it, mm-hmm. and I think that mm-hmm. there's something really really fun about that. Um, like the, the stupid little thing at the beginning of the movie, uh, and it, it's and it's why I like this movie. It has all these like little tiny touches. Kevin Bacon like he wakes up and he he like puts on his little jacket and he picks out uh, a marlboro cigarette pack and then he just crumples it throws it away and then he goes to another pocket picks out another one crumples it throws it. he has like five of them and he's like it's like and that tells you so much about his character it's amazing <laughs> like that little thing and i'm like i've known people i'm like that like why do i have 30 receipts in my pocket i'm like why am i holding on to this <laughs> yeah I, i've seen this movie way too many times to to feel nostalgia about it same I think there's probably movies I I do feel nostalgic about but I think they have to be something that you um maybe haven't seen for a really long time because like nostalgia I think needs that separation in time yeah for it to work to be mm. to be really um and tremors I watch it like every year at least once so, <laughs> so it's never <laughs> that far away <laughs> yeah so it never recedes and goes away no and... no and then it also is never burdened by that thing. It was like, I remember this being a lot better than it, <laughs> you know, that because yeah. sometimes, because some, some that, sometimes that's a part of it too, is like, oh, I yeah. remember loving this thing as a kid. And then, and then you, you watch, watch it and you're like, damn. So my husband just had this experience with um, Broken Arrow. <laughs> 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 he was like I don't know why we got on we're talking about Christian Slater and I was like let's watch some Christian Slater movies hell yeah uh my inner teenage girl is into this so he was like have you seen Broken Arrow I love that it's so good so I was like no so we watched it and I was like this movie sucks like, <laughs> I I really I enjoyed watching Christian Slater because he's hot um and I thought that um John Travolta was like pretty unhinged like he was you know it was, it was like his one of his first roles where he got to be kind of unhinged and so so that was fun but 
I'm sorry. I'm supposed to believe Christian Slater is like an all-American patriot flying a like fighter jet who's like, yeah, I'm all in. I'm I love the military. I was like, just the <laughs> slacker anti-establishment guy. Come on, who cast him? Like it's so bad. I think uh I kind of don't really care that much at all about Archer, but man, is it brilliant that they cast Christian Slater as himself as a CAA uh, like agent. <laughs> Oh, I have like, not seen it. He's okay. like, my name, and it's it's really him. And he's like, I'm Slater. Like, just call me Slater. It's like, <laughs> you're not fooling anybody. Like, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know? Yeah. So the next day, then we watched Hard Rain. So another Christian Slater movie, which was way more That's enjoyable. A good movie. Right. Still like pretty cheesy, but it's like a good action movie. And like the dynamic of just flooding everywhere is like really cool to watch, actually. Mm -hmm. So so that one was like in the first 10. And he also had way more sexual chemistry with was it Mini Driver, I think, was in Hard Rain. I can't <laughs> even remember the name of the chick in Broken Arrow, but they were they were supposed to be like love interest and they looked like they were brother and sister. It was just not, <laughs> nothing was working. I think I think Broken Arrow is also a John Woo movie believe it or not it is it is i think it was yeah. one of his first yeah and i'm normally like okay for the camp but uh it just, uh, it just that one that work. one fell flat for me yeah that was john woo isn't he usually like good action oh yeah, yeah. he's usually nuts face off yeah which is great again john yeah. travolta unhinged but like in a good way yeah and Nicolas Cage being the best Nicolas Cage, one of the best Nicolas totally. Cage. Totally. And they did so well <laughs> playing each other. I remember like that. I remember watching that movie and being like, hey, it's pretty cheesy, but they did such a good job being the other person that yeah. it's, it's worth watching. <laughs> <laughs> what else did you, did you get into? Like, I love, uh, I think it's Pup Up the Volume. No, husband keeps telling me we need to watch that. I downloaded it. It's on the agenda. We ended up watching Interview with a Vampire because, you know, classic. And then we we kind of dropped the Christian Slater train. So we'll have to pick it back up again. Because I actually, I have such a huge gap in movie knowledge in general because, again, my parents were super strict. And mm. so there's a big chunk of, of movies that I just did not see because, you know, yeah. I was too young when they came out and then they kind of passed and never got back to them. Okay. John Woo's first movie was in 1974. Oh, wow. Yeah. And John Woo, John Woo has like 40 movies. Right. But was this, was Broken Arrow like one of his first in American. the U.S.? Oh, yeah. I think it is. Well, no, it, it's either that one or it's the one with uh, where uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme is, is, a, is, is uh, a Creole guy. <laughs> Hard Target. Hard target, yes. Yep. I think 93, 93 <laughs> hard target looks like the first. Uh the one before that is the one before that was 92, hard boiled, which Kelby and David were just talking about on Agitator being like one of the best, the if not the best action choreography of any movie they've ever seen. And I have it like cued in my in my YouTube. Oh, hard boiled thing. Nuts. The last you, half hour of it is just a gunfight. I remember them and, saying like like those guys, the stunt guys, like easily could have died in like most of those scenes. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to fucking watch this. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. No, it's it's good. <laughs> um, One what, thing are you a fan of, Mr. Robot too? I haven't seen it. Oh, that's Christian Slater's in that, and he's fucking incredible. Yeah. Cool. It's probably it's maybe. I, it may be the best thing he's done. I don't, I don't, it's hard to say, but it's really good. I think overall, I had a lot of complaints about that show, but it's really worth watching for sure. Yeah. Um, it's fun. 
Um, one thing I wanted to touch on was the music in Tremors. So <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> what happened? Uh, you get like what sounds like um, a supermarket commercial harmonica playing. Yeah. And like, d- even when they're doing the pole vaulting, they're in re- very real danger. But it's mm-hmm. like a PG-rated family film kind yes. of song film. Like it's like the fake country and western with the harmonica. I feel like I feel like they just they just they just bought the soundtrack off of Nickelodeon's "Hey Dude," and yes. maybe that's what they like, That would make sense because it's only a thirty-minute show, and for the entire rest of the fucking movie, it's an original big movie score with a full right. orchestra. Yeah, and spooky. Well, so but the thing is, those those dumb little Nickelodeon segments ch- shift the tone. So you're like, oh, okay, we're okay. You know, we're we're happy. Like it, maybe that's why it never gets too scary or intense because then you're listening to this and you're like, okay, they're pole vaulting, <laughs> and <laughs> it did feel like it felt like the music on a show you would watch at three thirty after school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's also why my mom let me watch it so much because she would she was not sitting there watching with us. So if she just heard it, she maybe maybe it got a little intense. But then she'd hear that and be like, "Oh, it's fine." She's like, "Yeah, don't worry." Every day she watches "Hey Dude" and then she watches a Disney movie. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man, that that's 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 a very uh, uh, deep genius idea of where you're you you make the most horrific things possible but then you give it the goofiest music so oh that's like, been done like hasn't it air cover yeah. i don't know maybe it has well i guess i'm thinking of like killer clown music or something i swear i i'm not very well versed in horror especially not any like recent horror but i swear that's been a a trope like the mismatch between like what's happening and the well maybe not i, I don't know i could be talking out my ass here I no, I think I think it's like anything. There's people out there going like too heavy handed and, yeah. and making it feel like the idea has already been done to death. But in reality, probably no one's done it really well. Mm. Mm. Um, I can't so. handle horror, though. Like, so it's funny to me that this is like one of my favorite movies because it's it kind of is a horror. I mean, it's a comedy mainly, but I can't do it anymore. I used to love it as a kid. I love spooky stories and still do. But I find that horror in particular as a genre in Hollywood now, it just feels like it wants to hurt me, but in a different way than, of course, like the horror movie wants to hurt you, but in a different way than it did back in the 90s, for example, or 80s. Like, it just feels so, like, debasing, maybe, mm-hmm. in a way. Like, I watch it and I I feel like like sticky like I need to like I need to cleanse myself because it's like there's things like trying to I don't know like parasites glomming onto me or something I don't Mm. know it just it it I don't enjoy them at all anymore so and I can only think of a few examples of horror movies that I saw recently because I just I just don't watch them because I don't want to see that I guess is what I'm getting at and I I fucking feel that because like I enjoy them but there's also something about uh you know as as a practitioner as a as a weirdo like you have to consider who's inspiring all of these stories and and i know some of it is just like we we need them at this point because like people don't believe that that shit's real so they're i think that's what makes it worse though so then they're just like they're just like haha look at this and you're like oh my god like what are you doing what are you showing the part that concerns me right is is that 
people enjoy being scared and that's fine whatever but mm-hmm. yeah if, if you've ever experienced it like you, you know that a state of fear is sort of a a chink in armor like mm-hmm. it, it is a way in potentially to you um like if you stay in that state of fear for a little while and indulge in it that can grow into something or that can grow into like maybe an attachment maybe some kind of relationship you didn't want to have um but i uh i think there's there's a way to watch things like that and kind of step back from it but i don't know i mean i I, my wife loves like the really bad ghost hunting shows like she's like she knows they're bad those are fun though yeah, those are great. But there are times where there are times where you're like, well, this is probably fake. They're probably yeah. bullshitting on this one. But then some of them, you can feel it. Like you don't have to be there. You know that it's a real one. And there have been plenty of times where I've had to cleanse before I fucking go to bed after watching a couple yeah. of those. Yeah. Um, and I had I had like I've had similar stuff with a couple, you know, horror films that are fiction uh, where it's been like something okay something's lingering from that mm-hmm. like the the little what if feeling that you have afterwards where you keep thinking about it in my opinion that's something just going like tap 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 on your yeah. door and that's do fine you, if you know how to like keep it if you know how to keep that in check that's cool but i do worry about people that don't believe it's real and how many right. fucking attachments come from just exposure to fear states i i'm I'm also curious the the ones that you're thinking of, Mel, that you saw recently. Is there was there is there was there a sense of like when it was over, it like it wasn't contained, like it didn't resolve? Because because there's something about like older horror movies where no matter how dark they get, there is a sense of resolution and like it closes. Yeah. Like because to me why why i think horror is is can be a valuable as a narrative thing is that it can be a container like yeah. it's it's a thing where you can experience the, this fear but it can stay there like you get to experience it but then it's it doesn't linger with you it's a, it's a place you can put those fears and i'm wondering yeah. if there's something either narratively or how they were made that that didn't do that that there wasn't this closure yeah um it's hard for me so the the movie that i'm thinking of in particular is um barbarian have you seen it oh yeah yeah. just last year yeah yeah so it's it's you know set in in detroit and so i will say that the the setting for that film was amazing because they literally went to i can't remember which district of detroit it is but because of detroit's history you know just the auto industry collapsing and so many people just like literally leaving so they have these abandoned neighborhoods of just crumbling buildings and stuff everywhere so Mm. I didn't I thought that was like a set and some of it I'm sure was but then I looked it up after and I'm like holy shit this place is real and there are literally falling down you know bungalows and former family homes that have been taken over by nature and now there's like millennials buying them for 500 bucks to like Mm -hmm live there or like put something new because you know it's cheap and where else can you buy property for that little um anyway so yeah so that one I mean it's I I think there was a lot of my own baggage with that movie because it's about well this horrible guy who's like kidnapping women and you know and and raising them and it's just this so then it 
Yeah. So, I mean, I have, I, after having a child, I have like no tolerance for anything involving like children or like bad things like with that. And that's very much my own baggage from traumatic birth and stuff like that. So, um, so a lot of it was me, but I also just felt like there were just images from that movie that got stuck in my head after, and I like couldn't let it go. And, and it was bothering me a lot. And also it was a kind of a dumb movie. Like it wasn't very good. It was just stupid, but it was stupid in a gross way that got under my skin, I guess, is mm. um, is how I'm how I'm feeling about that one. Yeah, that's it. I actually, I actually kind of enjoyed that movie. I thought it was like a uh, a pretty good recent horror. Uh, I also I also loved that the, the guy that was the property owner, like he was such an idiot like oh there's... yeah i mean when that guy like gets caught like you're like you're fucking dumb man like please go die now yeah so that yeah. that actually helped me because i could latch onto that guy being an idiot and like <laughs> get rid of some of the, the bad emotions yeah. yeah like his response upon finding this like underground bunker under his house is to measure it so is that he can list his so can... airbnb <laughs> with like a million more square footage i was like art like that doesn't even make sense but okay <laughs> It's, it's a hilarious idea. Though. It's so um, stupid. <laughs> uh, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. It was also a great example of a movie where I I like the first half because it's really suspenseful, and yeah. you know, like the guy, like the the black guy is like chasing her and don't go in there, and she thinks he's you know the bad guy, obviously because he's kind of this scraggly guy, and and she's like, oh my god, and then it turns out, of course, the monster's in the house with them, uh, and it's not. Um, uh Skarsgård what's his first name the, um. the creepy Skarsgård <laughs> the creepy Skarsgård yeah 45 Skarsgård so yes so the creepy <laughs> one who played it yeah um yeah. he turns out he was probably a decent guy and yeah so that sucks um but yeah and then the second half where we get the monster is that's where I was just like okay I don't I don't like this movie anymore <laughs> because of <laughs> how the monster came to be and I, I just did not yeah. enjoy that but yeah uh now I now I have to see this because I'm too curious but um <clears throat> yeah I I think that's a really good point. The the closure the closure thing. Like if if the mm-hmm. story wraps up, it's different. It's like okay, so if if magic is largely theater, they're almost interchangeable in a way. Uh, then when you're watching a movie, like you are in a mild form of ceremony, you are like in a receptive state. Uh, if you've read any Diana Walsh Pasulka, uh, there's like a lot of research done on how screen memories work and how. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm I guess what I'm trying to say is if your movie doesn't have a license to depart at the end, <laughs> like maybe you need to do one. Uh, yeah, no, that's a good point. I, you know what? After this, I'm going to do a return to sender. <laughs> Just be like, get away. <laughs> director dies in tragic accident <laughs> oh it's not gonna be like that well hey you know what if he does then what the hell did you put in your movie buddy like, exactly exactly i'm just but... sending you back what you gave to me so it's just jeet kundo baby yep <laughs> i got a bat on that man i don't think reversal magic is is malefica at all i think I'll call it like, sure you can call it malefica i don't care but i will continue to do it because right. i think that there is some deep justice there that i'm 100 on board with it's it's like how if if bruce lee redirects your fist back to hitting yourself yep. he did not hit you <laughs> no the power came from you and it just got yeah shifted um 
I, I've been debating this whole time whether or not to tell this story, but it's too good not to. I'm sorry. It's probably going to gross you out, but. All good. I love gross stories. Uh, my friend Josh, who I was just in the States. Actually, I think we probably need to do a whole episode where Kurt and I just like talk about what we did together when we hung out uh, for the first time. But It's pretty gross. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, now you well, definitely need to do an episode on it. We'll we'll only we'll leave out the wet bits. Um, Those are but, the best parts. Oh. <laughs> we we met up in Kentucky and hung out with my like best friend since we were seventeen. He pretty much is like a brother. Um, and uh, he told me a story about being on mushrooms, and uh, he had this mission, this standing mission to collect. Uh, some some of his dog's shit to prove to the vet that his dog had worms so that he could get free medicine for the dog so he had he had to take the evidence in well he's on a good dose of mushrooms and the dog shits and there's a big tapeworm in it and he explained that in mushroom space he looked at it and it wasn't just the tapeworm. It had smaller worms coming off of it to the sides and it was fractaling and it, he connected with it and he realizes that this being is ancient, like has survived several collapsing of all the yugas and restarting and rebooting of the, the entire universe. Like he's, he's glimpsing the eternal worm and he the 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 discomfort like he he couldn't really describe but it was on his face just how fucking dramatic this experience was but and then he's like he's telling me how his his kind of logic is like it's like why is this so disturbing like we are just tubes he's a tube i'm a tube what's the difference why is this so unsettling and like <clears throat> Basically, I think it amounts to its whole being is about surreptitiously taking from you that which it wants. And, you know, we're tubes, but we're a little bit more polite about being tubes. We might be more convoluted and more complex, but we also we try to be sort of polite about at least conscientious people like praying over your food or being aware of where your food comes from, those kinds of things. It's different. Um but it's still not that much different either. Um, it, but there's something about the eternal worm that is just so incredibly disturbing. And I think that this movie is some kind of like I demand to be represented. Because <clears throat> um, it's a worm with other worms coming out of it. Uh, like, that's yeah. also part of it. <laughs> what does a yeah. graboid look like on mushrooms? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, like uh, pretty much it's a guar show i guess yeah <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> but uh yeah this is I'm... reminding me of my husband's dream about the god spider <laughs> you so tell... he, he yeah he had this one this is years ago and he, he was like a full-on like nightmare like woke up like sweating and like shaking and it was because in the dream he uh there were these giant spiders everywhere, like hu- human sized and bigger, right? Like, like gigantic spiders. And they told him that um, when you see a spider in real life or waking life and you see a little spider, the reason you get so scared is because 
there's a part of you that knows there's the god spider behind that spider which are these giant beings that were like everywhere but we just couldn't perceive them um with our waking minds um but that like that's so it was yeah so so it was anyway so like again it sounds kind of like okay maybe it's whatever stupid but but no just that visceral feeling of like that that little spider running across the floor is actually a stand-in for the god spiders which are these huge and they were like malevolent like parasitic entities that were like you know controlling or feeding off of us i don't even remember but yeah so yeah the god spiders it's it's, it's it could be a thing man yeah i don't actually think that's far-fetched i i kind of think that we live in a soup of just all kinds of being we can only see like this yeah. tiny tiny fraction of them are on and the like way. what do you actually look like in a different space well you know this from doing journeying right like you don't look like you do usually and other oh, no. things really don't look like what i'm not even i'm not even like. i'm not even humanoid like when i'm in mushrooms mushroom space yeah. like my my yeah. like true form or whatever is like serpentine octopus like or something it's fucking weird that's fun I've gotten bugs like I don't know if it was my true form or a form but like a like a almost like a big mantis kind of type deal that's awesome I'm currently writing a story about a mantis shaped mech warrior sweet <laughs> I, I fucking love praying mantises I guess that's where the conversation's heading now <laughs> mantis chat welcome back to mantis it's not chat. that far away it's not that far away from giant underground worm chat so yeah, well, I mean, mantises are super interesting because they're they're the most human-looking insect. Like, you mm. get because they they actually had, and I think it's all because of the the two eyes with pupils. They have pupils, mm. so that there's mm -hmm. there's a way to connect with them where most insects it's just this blank alien thing. But well, they often look bipedal too. Like they stand up on the back feet, right? See, so they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it. I'm I'm just now realizing I don't know any not like one single mythology or spirit that has anything to do with the praying mantis but something's really hitting me about like the ferocious side of the feminine being connected to mm -hmm. there's gotta devouring. be there's gotta be something yeah yeah devouring yeah well i mean there's a there's a very famous kung fu style uh that is the mantis style that's um and people have people have talked about like if you if you train it too much you get this sort of weird alien quality to yourself. Uh, I've heard some people talk about that. Like that's where they sort of hook their wrists like down, right? Yeah, and yeah, and, yeah, yeah. That's really I, weirdly. Like that's I, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Go go ahead. Um, when I took Wing Chun for a little while, um, and we would just like freeform touch hands, like second half of class or whatever. I would always do this thing where instead of like just blocking, I would grab and pull them to throw them off balance. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, the other people in the class would be like, that's not Wing Chun. You can't do that. And like Sifu would be like, did it work? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, then it's Wing Chun. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love that idea of like, because you don't expect that shit. You expect like, like a fight to be you're you're throwing and you're blocking and you're missing redirecting but the idea of like pulling someone in closer is is something you don't usually expect to happen to you that that's all all, all of bagua that's like very common mm -hmm. the actual actually the idea is that is that you're splitting the energy so you're you're pushing or punching while also doing it 
So it's in, in addition to you hitting them, they're running into your fist. Yeah. So it's the power yeah. of both connecting at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's a total. Those people didn't know what they were doing. They weren't. You knew the real Wing Chun. They didn't. That's what I'm going to say. Let me just look oh, I was gonna, notes. I, I, I was going to say, do you. As, <laughs> <laughs> this is a really weird do you think do you think the tapeworm god loves the thing it feeds off of mm. love that's such a difficult word i don't know I that know. sounds like a very human word i don't know if tapeworms would feel love but i mean if it this needs is it deity, it needs it though it's beyond yeah. love it's it's neat it, it dies yeah. without the host right yeah I do wonder if the if we as humans associate a fight or flight instinct with certain things that animals don't actually feel it for. Uh-huh. Like I I can't help but wonder if <clears throat> like the snake is in love with the rat that it's eating. Like if there's this like warm glowing just like, "Oh, I'm so happy to have you in my mouth again." <laughs> I missed you. Um cuz I I get that with my cat, when he catches mice and moles, he will take it to a spot in the yard and hurt it to the point where it can't move much. And then he just stands there and meows at it. And like, it's like he's just appreciating it. It's very, very strange. Meanwhile, the rodent is in torturous pain. Um, yeah. Well, cats are psychos. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe they do love their prey. I well, is it? I would say more sociopath because psychopathy and suggests that they want to inflict the harm, but I think they're they're True. like almost they're like really violent children. Mm. Yeah, no, they have to inflict the harm. It's just who they are. Isn't that the that's the like what you're talking about with the snake loving? Isn't that kind of the uh, the archetype of like the the devouring dark mother? Like it loving the child so much you don't want it to go you want it to stay a part of you see i wouldn't call that love um Uh that's something else i think well it's interesting yeah need and love are not necessarily one and the same but Mm -hmm. i do it it, in my mind it seems like if you were an animal they could be Mm. but yeah like you're saying love is more of a well, fuck. Yeah, we'll, we'll just nail down what love really is real quick. <laughs> I didn't expect this movie to go, or this this discussion about Tremors to go there, but <laughs> hey, the main character's name is Valentine, so maybe it maybe it checks out. There it is. Yeah, well, you there. started by saying he's got a heart on his belt. That's so. right. He does have a, a heart-shaped belt buckle, so. <laughs> does your tapeworm so should... love, does your tapeworm really love you is definitely the name of the episode. <laughs> does your graboid love you, <laughs> do graboids love love. yeah so i think it's interesting because i wasn't going to bring it up but now i am um but dune hasn't come up at all in the conversation and i wasn't sure if either of you were gonna go there because it's funny i was familiar with tremors before i ever knew what dune was again my age and strict parents meant that i definitely didn't watch the original movie until i was well into adulthood 
uh, and read the book and stuff when I was like 20. So yeah, it's funny. Tremors, like I could, I'm sure people have been like, oh, that's just like a remake of Dune or something, which is not correct at all. Right. <laughs> like you don't know anything about Dune if you think that Tremors Come on, is man. Dune. Come on, man. Everybody knows who controls the spice, controls the universe. uh yeah so but yeah I I guess there's no now I'm annoyed I even brought it up because they're totally different but so like I think I heard like my father-in-law or something was like oh yeah like dude like the the underground worms like dude like you know that's as far as it went for him (laughs) so I guess yeah this is the same thing as like old people calling thinking you're an entirely different human being because you've got like the vaguely the same body type and hair color (laughs) as them yeah uh, I think that's the same thing. I've had entire conversations with old people when I worked at a film festival and they thought I was my manager. And I just was nice. like, okay, I'm fucking Greg today. <laughs> well, well it's, it sort of also fits in that weird category where it's like, it's like it's someone would call every sci-fi thing a Star Wars or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like trying, to make, trying to make it into a Kleenex or something. Yeah. yeah. Like, have you only seen Star Wars? Is that the only sci-fi movie you've ever seen? Like, okay. That is like the ultimate corporate mind capture, isn't it? When you replace oh, the, like, the noun with the proper noun in yeah. everyone's minds. Actually, but... yeah. Yeah. Snap a quick Kodak. Nope, didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they do that when they like name products, if they're like, you know, the, uh, <laughs> like, grab me a bounty. I just vomited. Like, <laughs> no, it doesn't have a ring to it. Let's no, it go doesn't. with something different. Yeah. See, now. Wet... Yeah, Wet Wipe is a, is that a brand? I think it is. Yeah, it I is, it isn't is. it? Sanitary yeah. napkin is the proper term. But it, yeah. see, that's another thing. We need people doing writing for the the, the objective nouns and nobody gets paid for that. Yeah, no. Sanitary napkin didn't have a chance in hell of catching on. Baby wipes. So I'm thinking of when I used wet wipes all the time. We we just call them baby wipes. So there's a bunch of different brands of those. So that's kind of the generic because, yeah. And sanitizer. I'm I'm trying to stay with the conversation, but then but then I keep going back to like trimmers as the prequel to Dune. <laughs> they are the beginning stages of the great worms of Shahilud of Arrakis. That yeah. Oh, so like Dune happens Earth like the... way after. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kind of like that. I'm into that actually. Yeah. Perhaps the the sandworms and the humans like immigrated from Earth around the same time because they couldn't coexist, and then they met back up later. <laughs> Turns out that we're the aliens. So they are aliens, but they started off here. No, I don't know where I'm going with that. I think we're already, I think everything on Earth is an alien. Probably. <laughs> it's just, well, because if you think about a Beastmaster and then fractaling forms that manifest, like, I, I don't, you know, like, like the space worm wasn't the tapeworm in his dog's poop. Mm-hmm. He was seeing the being that is the original, that then the tapeworm is a refraction of yeah kind of like the god spider right like all spiders are the god spider all worms are the worm right yeah yeah i I, I, it's weird that you brought that up because i also that 
that night with my buddy when we ate mushrooms, I had a weird experience with a spider where its face just appeared right in front of me. Um, and then I had web all over me. Ooh. And like he could see it too. And he's like, no, it's just he's like, it's just gonna keep coming. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm Let's like, I'm kind of worried about it. And then <laughs> the next day I had uh seven bites on my left leg. Uh that were all like blister sized and yeah. And they it took a while, like it took a month to fully process them. Yeah, spider um, bites can can be nasty that way. But I had my jeans tucked into my socks that night for ticks. Yep. So doesn't matter. Whatever happened, uh <laughs> I I've since that night I was informed via spirit team that uh there was something circling me and fucking things up. And while I was in mushroom space, Spider, whom I've always been on good terms with, like always, I, I don't, do not kill them, right? Like it's always, I will go to great lengths to save this little guy's life. All eight legs are going to make it, buddy. Um, that Spider helped deliver something that was like refusing to fully manifest. So it was like, here's a way that you can process this now that you're in like wibbly wobbly world um we can get this to you and we know you're strong enough to process this <clears throat> whereas otherwise it would have just kept like circling like a buzzard and like shitting on everything mm -hmm. it's really interesting stuff i kind of want to write a blog post about like how to take a hit because i've i've done it enough at this point <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's kind of how that illness i had whatever it was earlier like a couple months ago at the beginning of the summer it felt like at one point I was like, am I being initiated? <laughs> like what's happening here? Because it just wouldn't go away and it kept shifting and changing. And maybe I was just sick as fuck, but I just, yeah, I don't know what that, I don't know what it was like. And there was, it was just magical. Like you're just sick, you know? And yeah. And I, I mean, I didn't do tests or anything because what's the point? Like a bunch of people were like, oh, it's COVID. And I was like, I had Isn't COVID. Everything? Yeah, I was like, oh, I don't think this is COVID. And also, who gives a shit if it is? But it did not feel like COVID. So, yeah. Did you cough on them immediately when they told you? <laughs> I was coughing constantly anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> um, no, it felt, it felt tight. It was once I realized it was very much tied to the Venus's current cycle, I was like, okay, well, at least I have the shape of the timing here. Um, so there's some comfort in that. It's again, it's like this fate thing. Like I can't stop it from happening. I can see the timing and go, well, this is probably not going to go well, or this is maybe going to happen around here, but at least I, I have that shape. Um, so, do you ever, yeah. do you ever, when you run into stuff like that, are you ever like, man, I regret learning astrology? Um, <laughs> I know what you're getting at. I don't want to know. <laughs> I know what you're getting at. I don't because I, I I love it too much. Um, it's just too much a part of who who I am. But um, yeah, that sense of like, oh, I hate being right, you know. But then there's a part of me that's like, no, you don't. You love it. Like you love that you <laughs> called this like six months ago, and only like my husband is like, fuck, you fucking called it. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And he he gets annoyed. He's like, God, Dad. Like he's he's been the one being like, what's the point of knowing this? <laughs> if if you can't do anything about it and I'm like knowing is half the battle I guess I guess I could be taking more steps uh, like taking more steps to mitigate but the other thing I feel like is those 
whatever those, so I don't think the planets are causing that to happen. They're just like, so I go back and forth on this. <laughs> Facilitating. But like, do they, are they casting out baleful rays? Maybe they are. I don't know. But I, it's almost I, like, sorry. Oh, no, I have a take on this. If, if, okay. But I'll let you, yeah. I'll let, oh, you want, yeah. oh, uh, well, okay. I was go just going to say, like, I don't know if the planets are causing it or they're just marking or the energies are there. So they're kind of causing it. They're going to happen anyway. Right. So giving yeah. them a place to land is important, I feel. So, you know what, if my company is like, you have to travel on the, you know, and be in this important meeting on the day that Mercury stations retrograde, which literally just happened last week. And I go, great, we're, we're probably not keeping that client. We didn't. Um, but I'm just going to go along with it. And I'm not going to fight it because that just let it go. It's going to land somewhere. And you know what, if I didn't go do that, it, it would have come out, that energy would have come out in a different way. Um, so at least I kind of knew where it was going to probably show up and I can I could take steps you know so yeah hmm. sure. I mean have you ever have you ever done something that's like oh this says that uh I I should have a broken toe so I'm going to do I'm going to shatter a porcelain foot or something for... no. no no because there's so many different ways that shit can land but it's uh -huh. impossible to pick that being said, I have toyed around with like mitigating certain things. And I still have this one in my back pocket. I never ended up doing it. But the next time Mars comes around to my first house, um, I was thinking about doing like a ritual to and cutting my hair uh, and offering that to Mars. So Mars in the first is it's a great time to hurt yourself. Right. So it's like, you know, warrior planet in, in, in you, in your first house. So that's, yeah, it's just injuries and accidents and stuff around them are really common. And so if it was, and it's in Taurus, like my first house is Taurus, right? So Mars is like, especially not in a great spot. So I, I have that in my back pocket, like, like offering him up something of my, of myself, of my body ahead of time and burning it, you know, which is also very martial. Um, mm. I feel like something like that could maybe, could maybe be good. Um, yeah. yeah, but I haven't, I haven't honestly played with that too much on my own. It's more just like taking the proper precautions. Like, I mean, I'm not exactly an extreme sports person anyway, but if Mars was going through your first, I would be like, you know, don't book that weekend to go bungee jumping or parachuting or something, right? Like that type of thing. <laughs> it's funny how, uh, how consistently I feel like, um, Western metaphysics is not that it doesn't have something, but that it's actually lacking something that's truly there. And that is the law of karma, which in Buddhist scripture and, and thinking like it's, it's, it's a law. It's just a thing that exists in the universe and it moves shit around based on action and cause and effect. But then like, you get a lot of, uh, I've noticed a lot of kind of pushback where people will say that that's somehow culturally situated, but it, um, or situated in a, in that tradition. And it's like, what tradition? Like, are we talking Theravada? Are we talking Mahayana? Like, are you talking, what are we talking? What about, uh, you will reap what you sow? What about judge not lest you be judged? See, to me, most of the shit in the Bible is like skimming the surface of Buddhist metaphysics, but it doesn't go into depth, like explaining the why of it. <clears throat> it's sort of like, a, no, you're still on baby food in this time and in this place. So like, you're, you're not eating solid foods yet. We're not that far. Uh, there's 
there was still a lot of like very more uh primal stuff going on uh interactions with the gods sacrifices all that kind of stuff hadn't gone away yet so like but i think thinking of the planets as the uh as the uh distributors of karma makes so much sense to me uh it helps you kind of lean into when something starts to happen it's not going to be some random shit it's going to be something that's deeply entwined with your own personal patterns your own history and that makes it a little bit easier to kind of suss out what's fucking happening and how how you need to deal with it but it also opens up a lot of interesting avenues for uh remediation <clears throat> um mm-hmm. like making uh, i fucking i'm a terrorist for merit but like doing an act of good and obviously don't do that with fucking mars i tried it <clears throat> uh i don't know if, i don't know if you've heard that story i tried offering merit to mars during when mars was in gemini uh-huh. And it was bad a while back. Yeah, I was in the retrograde yet. And then immediately I sat down on my brand new headphones and broke both arms. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> it was an electronic too. Yeah, I was like, point fucking taken. Mars doesn't like merit. It was worth a try though, because all the other planets seem to dig it. And it, it seems to matter the specific type of merit you yeah. make. Um, well, so I, I don't have much like experience with merit at all, but... I mean, Mars wants fire and blood, so that doesn't sound like what merit is. (laughs) So, um, yeah. Interestingly, I just, what was it I just heard on? I think it was in ancient Egypt. Mars was like used for healing or something. Like I heard Mars being used for healing. Well, I feel like there's certain things you could maybe use that for, like amputation. Like if you have gangrene (laughs) in your arm, you have to cut that shit off or you're going to like probably die. That's a very martial like medical practice um like asking mars for a clean cut yeah like guide my my hand don't sever a vein you know like get in the right spot and and you know yeah cauterizing wounds like for sure i could see mars being used in in very specific actually if you think about western medicine is very martial so much surgery going on like crazy (laughs) from a certain level western medicine is entirely martial it's like (laughs) just bashing shit (laughs) i have often said it's just poking people with sharp sticks of varying sizes seems to be like that's what our medicine is now like fantastic yeah we'll just give you this other kind of poison and it's going to yes that poison then we'll give you another poison to kill that poison yeah (laughs) I don't know why she swallowed the fly. <laughs> we'll build a robot arm and put a stick at the end of it. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kurt, did you make your point though about what your hot take was oh, on like oh, the it's planet? Not, it's not. It's not exactly a take. Uh, I, I I think of it like. Uh, so the metaphor is like, do do the flowers cause spring? Mm. Like, no, it's a result of, and that's sort of what I feel about the planets is that they're just the most uh, obvious densest expression of, of that energy in this particular like little weave of the cosmos. So it's, I, it's, I don't know that they're exactly distributing it but it's more like they're the markers of what that energy is that's getting pulled into this reality my experience that, archons. 
that might be splitting hairs a little bit, but I kind of think the planets are uh, like they're they're beings, like they're 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 obviously beings, but they're also in in my mind their technology. Like when we look out at the universe at, at our solar system, we're like. Oh, planet, and we see it from this, like, those things are big and out there. <clears throat> I think of it more like the inside of a device. Mm. Like, these things are rotating and intertwining and feeding energies into the world, and how you receive them is based on the moment you were born. Like, it just seems like technology. And I think when when you're, like, graduated from, if if you ever get to the point where it's like, oh, you don't actually have any more lessons. You can go fuck off to other worlds if you want to. Like, if that's a thing, um, I think you would look down and be like, like, oh, yeah, it's just a meat sim. <laughs> it's a meat sim. So you can have experiences in uh, a time stream so that things have more significance and, and you can change. Yeah, it's been it's really interesting. I sitting with the. um the information about the planets from a very scientific NASA astronomy point of view. Um, and I'm, I'm like an armchair astronomer. Like I, I, there's a part of me that really loves that. And I follow a bunch of, of, you know, mainstream astronomy stuff. And then, and then the astrology and holding, holding space for those two things. Um, and I'm not saying like one isn't the other or whatever. Like it's, it's, I still have clearly not come to a very coherent sort of like, uh, explanation with this, but it, but I am just trying to like hold them both and to, to see, you know, how do, how do I look at Venus in the sky and know what Venus is in my life from an astrological lens and how, how does that, you know, how do these things fit together? Um, hmm. yeah. I think that's really cool. Uh, I'd like to see more of that, more of the integrating, like, even if they're wrong, there's still like the universe is alive and story is true. So if materialist scientists are telling you something about a planet, try and see it metaphorically. And like, what does that actually like? Tell yeah. you? How does that? Well, and there, there is so much there. Like, so Venus taking that example, I mean, her retrograde pattern in the sky forms a pentagram, right? So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of her meaning astrologically has derived from that. And I, I guess you just look back at the ancient astrologers. They were astronomers and mathematicians and whatever. They were scientists of their time, right? And that's something that means like current contemporary 21st century science um, does not want to consider. And if they even acknowledge it in like an astronomy textbook, it's like one paragraph on the side of a page in the introduction saying, and yes, Johannes Kepler was the last uh, astronomer who was also an astrologer, but we're past that now. You know, like it's very, it's very dismissive. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we know they also thought that the planets meant magical things, but we know better now. That's the vibe, right? So it's just, it's, it's disappointing to me because I feel like astronomers and astrologers should be like best friends because I mean, I, I love, like, I love those guys. And I know that like they're, they're, they're discovering things and it's so cool. And I, like, I think we both share a love for just the living skies. Um, so it just makes me sad that they're, you know, they're, they, they just think we're a bunch of quacks, but, um, oh, well, it's fine. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine being a quack. Um, I do think I, one of these days I'm going to go like infiltrate the local astronomy community and like hope <laughs> that someone Googles me beforehand and finds my blog and is like, oh, oh, she's an astrologer. We can't <laughs> let her look through the telescope. <laughs> it's, it's all like it's got grease on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they, they fucking trolled you. Right. Um, 
that's really interesting what you said because it makes me think of how on in addition to they don't want to talk about how all the forefathers of modern astronomy were astrologers and they were one they were one thing it was Um, one thing they they also don't like to talk about how all the 20th century scientists who have come up with all the inventions that have changed the world about 80 to 90 percent of them were occultists in some way Mm-hmm. And they do, no one, no one likes you to bring that up. And if you bring it up, they'll just roll your eyes and dismiss you. But mm-hmm. th- th- that's that's the trick is is they have to dismiss you before they've heard three or four examples that they then can't ignore. So there's like this race to shut you up before it builds in their logic because they actually care about logic. So they have to shut you out before it gets in. And there's some weird instincts yeah. like there because they can feel it and they preserve their own, you know, constructed world. Yeah. But I mean, I love logic and the scientific method too. I think that um, it's an extremely elegant problem solving system. And it's a shame what we're doing to it because a lot of people who are calling themselves scientists are like not, and they're not doing science the way it's supposed to be done. Um, and as much as I can, I try to apply the scientific method to my astrology practice because I don't want to be some quack, right? Who's just like really airy fairy out of touch, like, oh yes. And this means, you know, and, and no, I want it to be like looking at this, the signs and looking at these, you know, very rigorous things and, and, you know, making interpretations based on that. Now, yes, there's intuition comes into that. And, and, but again, that's because it's all part of it. Intuition plays into scientists too. How many scientists or anyone in the world just wakes up at night and is like, oh, and they have a breakthrough, right? Like, what's that? Is that just, oh, they're really smart. So they had a breakthrough or is it something coming up within them, you know, an idea that needs to get out some sort of ancestral help, other helping spirit, you know, coming through in whatever way to like make you figure out this equation that's been stumping you for, you know, months. And now you have it anyway, I'm, I'm rambling on here, but um, so like there's, there's the good and the bads of the spectrum, right. Where you get people who are just like only facts and, and then they'll, they'll kind of shut anything else out that feels at all sort of like not based in that and then the ones who are like screw that we don't need we don't need to do that at all so yeah well that is interesting because in fairness intuition isn't something you can just switch on it's something you have to cultivate and work with before you can Mm -hmm. trust and uh logic isn't actually like logic is something you can borrow from someone else in a way um you can kind of take a framework and then reapply it but you cannot do that with intuition so I think that has a lot to do with it is it's like there's there's work here. You can jump right into trusting someone else's like logic, but you have to have an experience to trust intuition. And that means being mm-hmm. like present with it and accepting that sometimes you're fucking wrong and and it it won't be right, you know, three times in a row scientifically in that way either. So it discounts mm-hmm. it as being like valid in their minds. Mm-hmm. What you just said, I think, is huge for everyone, for scientists especially, and anyone, astrologers, I'm sure, is that um, the humbleness, right? Like admitting when you're wrong is huge. And sure, I love it when I nail a prediction and it doesn't happen that often, really. Um, but it's important to be like, okay, I did not. Like with this Venus retrograde, I looked at it and I was like, oh, this should be okay. And I I really did not put in the amount of work or thinking that I should have to be like, mm. wait a second, you know, actually this might get really hairy for at least certain people and, and yeah, certain, certain areas here. So, yeah. 
this is actually one of like why you're one of my favorite astrologers to listen to is because <clears throat> you are very open about that you're always learning and there's not like this uh pretense of of being uh settled you know oh there, this feeling of like i've i i know what's going on like you're very you approach it with like a wonderment and oh, thank you and as we talked yes. about sorry i know nothing <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think the people who know the most will always tell you that uh in general like <laughs> uh generally speaking but uh i think we, we touched on something before we got on the call about how there's a certain freedom in like you have a day job like you you take clients when you want to and when they come and mm -hmm. that's cool and you get all this enrichment out of that but you don't have any sort of anxiety or hustle mentality towards having to find those clients <clears throat> and i think i'm more inclined to pay someone who doesn't rely on their spiritual practice i think at this point in my in my journey uh than someone who does because i know what it's like to worry about the rent and i know where where people's heads go when that happens and like especially if you're a practitioner there's like all kinds of fucking deals you can make to get through that rough patch but what does that actually say for the quality of your services what does that mean for like who did you just get a spirit to come drag in to be your client and like is that a good fit? <laughs> you know, um, thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say I don't have the hustle because I, I I, definitely do, but I see what you're saying. It's in a different way. I mean, if anything, I'm just an overachiever. So I have to have like multiple jobs because I'm just like that. Um, but I, before I was doing astrology, I was writing. And so I had like a, a fairly healthy sort of freelance writing career before alongside a day job um, for, for years, right before I started. And honestly, my astrology work is writing. It is a lot of writing work as well, because it's just, I am a writer. Um, but yeah, not having like, and I, and I get down on myself, right? Like anyone who is doing sort of a hustle thing, like, oh, I should put out a blog or I should, you know, pitch TMA, another article. And, and so I feel, you know, guilty or whatever for not doing that. But yeah, like I don't, have to and so if I do go through I, I feel like I just am coming out of a, like a fallow period a little bit where um there just wasn't a lot happy there was but just wasn't it didn't I didn't seem like I was doing much so yeah yeah I mean and not to knock anyone who is doing their this stuff sort of full-time because I super get it like I, I get wanting to be in this space all the time like I've only let myself entertain the thought of being a full-time astrologer like a little bit because I just know that I won't and so there's no point in in fantasizing about something that I'm not going to do at least not for like at least 10 years if not more um and I think it would be cool but I also don't think I'm the type of astrologer who could do like five to seven readings a day because when I do one it like drains me so yeah like just knowing my own limits for that type of thing maybe I'll build up like a tolerance <laughs> like uh the muscle I suppose but yeah. I yeah, I, I would I would there is there is always a thing with like quantity where you can you start to and I I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing. You get you're it makes it easier to like plug in like you might see the same thing in multiple ways. And so you have this like broader understanding. So then it makes it quicker to see it. Like you you recognize what you're looking at. Yeah. 
quicker. Right. Like you're, you're tapped into it eight to 10 hours a day. So you're like, okay, during this period, I know I'm going to be talking a lot about this thing. This. Like, yeah. 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 Everyone and who comes you, to see me is probably related to this transit in some way or something like that. Yeah. 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 There's that. And then also you get the experience of like, Oh, Oh, I keep seeing this planet here. So I have a rough mm-hmm. idea of what that, what that is for. And there's going to be slight variations for the person. Um, I actually, this, this is something since you follow, since you follow astro- uh, astronomy too, mm-hmm. uh, do you feel like there's any, any urge to sort of suss out or like parse what those like really far outer planets are doing if they're doing anything at all? Like, you know, there's that one, what is it? Eris is one of them. Eris, yeah. 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 Past Pluto. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like um, how does how do people even approach that? Like how did yeah. they yeah? So well, so this is this has been a debate, even with the the outers that were so like Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. Yeah. Um, because they were they were modern, right? Like Uranus was discovered in the late 1800s. Um, and we've kind of we've assigned them um meanings a lot derived from the name that was given to them. Um, and you can debate on that, like Uranus isn't the best name for that planet probably based on what it seems to do in astrology like prometheus is maybe a little bit more accurate mm-hmm. um neptune terrible name for that planet other than it's blue so i see that i see the connection i think that's what they were going for but um so neptune you know is probably morpheus might be a better one for that I've, i think mm-hmm. there's another candidate i heard anyway uh pluto seems like all right hades type thing yeah mm-hmm. um but yeah, so th- this is the thing with modern astrology. I think that there's, um, so there's always, you, we're always going to make more, you know, uh, discoveries and it's, modern science is great for that. So we know about Eris, there's all sorts of other bodies being found, like the asteroids and um, and there's a new comet that was just discovered. So I've actually been going down a rabbit hole on comet astrology, which is actually really fun. And I, well, fun, even as far as comets are like usually harbingers of bad things. But anyway, um, so I think that this kind of ties into the hustle thing where uh, astrologers are trying to kind of make a name for themselves. And so if you can be like mm-hmm. the heiress astrologer, you know, and you're like, I, I got heiress figured out, you know, and, and that's kind of what you you base a lot of your work on. OK, and and there are some people who have kind of done that and, and that's fine. Um, I see where they're coming from. But in terms of like their their impact on a on a person on a like their natal chart the outer planets are like we can't they're more like generational right yeah, they're yeah they're um they're kind of like el like vast el eldritch horrors i don't know elder beings like they're just so far mm-hmm. outside of uh, of us and they're invisible to us that sure they're going to influence us but i don't think it's going to be on the same level that the ones we can see so the, the traditional planets so mercury out to saturn um yeah so so studying them in the context of a one person's life isn't i think usually that um useful or even interesting unless the, i guess maybe if like i do think a person can be really plugged into like say pluto's energies um but probably because it's on your ascendant you know or your midheaven maybe or something like that or you have like your moon conjunct pluto on your ascendant something like that like that brings it home um so i think that 
studying them in the terms of cycles of history is is where things get really interesting because they're great markers of those greater cycles. Um, but for our all intents and purposes and us here on Earth, I think that you all you need are the the traditional seven, and that's going to tell you everything you need to know. Mm. Yeah, I guess I just don't. Yeah, sorry. I just don't want to be in a in a rush to be like, "Ooh, we discovered this new thing. It means that," because yeah, how long well, did it take the ancients? Be, yeah, how long did it take the ancients to be like Mars means this, right? Like, this, yeah, okay. there's yeah, still going to be seven I, days in the week, no matter what you do. <laughs> like, yeah. and that's all you practically actually have to worry about. Yeah, I wouldn't assume it. I that that's what I'm curious about. Is like, I it's like how much. Like, are there? I'm guessing there are people that are trying to work on that and figure out like how they. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The Eris talk. Um, well, Chiron was the big one when they discovered Chiron in like the 70s, and then I think there's. I don't know if this is actually true, but one of my teachers told me that there's was like more books written about Chiron than like any other like planet or body in astrology like it's just there's like so many books about Chiron but I think it has more to say about the generation of people who um <laughs> were practicing astrology when Chiron was discovered and really latched onto the wounded healer archetype for some mm. reasons possibly yeah. generational uh uh Pluto, generational baggage Pluto and, yeah Pluto and Scorpio reasons maybe no this is earlier than that oh um, okay because Chiron was discovered in the in the like seventies, oh. so this would have been like the Pluto in Leo, like the baby boomers, basically. Oh, okay, I could see how uh, the wounded healer kind of is like an excuse to take the spotlight. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shitting on Leos because I'm a Leo moon, and I know. Uh, yeah, the, the pop astrology, it's kind of fun. It makes for some good memes, but, um, I guess I should also say just for anyone listening, if they're not aware that like, I have much more of a traditional bias. Um, I'm not, a, I don't call, I used to call myself a traditional astrologer. I don't actually, I'm not, I don't think you can be unless you are literally only using the seven planets. And there are a couple hardcore people like that. They just don't even consider anything else and kudos to them. But again, I can't help it because because you do get information from some of the, the outers. But yeah, no. So I do like I lean towards the traditional, but I'm certainly kind of doing like whatever hybrid practice we have now, the like traditional revival within a contemporary 21st century context. I really got to come up with a better elevator pitch, though, because this is clearly I'm not doing the hustle with my marketing because it's no it's <laughs> no graboids. I'll say that. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, actually. To take it back there, I think the the creators of the film blamed their marketing for why why it bombed so bad at the box office. And I meant to look; I haven't I haven't checked it yet. But apparently, the theatrical the trailer was just hot nonsense. Like it just made it look like the dumbest movie. So people were like, <laughs> "Why why would I go see that?" But they but but really, it was the astrology of the release date. <laughs> <laughs> Really, it was that which, Mercury stationing. Right. Which came first, the astrology or the theatrical release, though? <laughs> oh, yeah. That that That's also funny that you're like, I'm... Like, that's the other thing I, I continuously discover about astrology is that I guess it's... 
I guess it's like metal genres and that there's this ever fractaling tree of different styles of astrology or something. <laughs> oh, that... totally there is. <laughs> is there? Yeah. Like, oh, cool. You know all of this shit, right? So, so when would be a good idea for this working? Oh, I don't do electional. <laughs> like, fuck. <laughs> well, kind of a little bit, though. So I actually did help... Um one client with with picking a date for an important event for him but it was a mundane event it wasn't a magical thing so I was like okay like I, I felt comfortable with that I'm like I can look at this month and pick out like and it was very strict parameters it was like it's gonna be on a Saturday it's gonna be one of these four Saturdays which one looks nicest so that 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 I can do I'm not doing elections like magical elections though for clients. Like, I don't know if I ever will, or I'm not really interested in getting into making talismans. I mean, I make talismans for myself, but I'm like such a noob. Um, so I, I don't know. It's just not, not part. I, it's fascinating certainly, but it's not something that I, um, I could ever see myself like selling to people. Although maybe that's also because I feel like that market got so saturated just recently. Like, it mm. seems like everyone suddenly is talking, all the like mainstream astrology schools are like astro magic. Like all of a sudden they're, they're doing courses on it. And yeah. even like two, three years ago when I, like when I did some stuff at Kepler, like I, I think they had Nina mm. Griffin come in mm. once a year to do an astro magic thing. And now I think they're doing something like all the time. So anyway, it's, it's, it's become part of the, the tradition again, um, which is kind of cool, but again, yeah, it's like. I don't know. There's lots of people in that space who know way more than me. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely not trying to trash talk anybody in any way. Uh, Cause I don't, I don't have any talismans from any Western traditions. And the reason for that is like, I have Thai amulets that come from traditions that are unbroken for a very fucking long time. And, uh, and I, I trust that I trust being tied into this other person's magic because they have unbroken traditions that have been proven for a very very long time they're not trying something else kind of new feeling it out and like then handing it over to you that's what i'm doing <laughs> that's also because you're hardcore and like the tie amulets are all made with like dead baby bones and stuff I'm, i know i'm being like offensive probably but some of them are like hardcore well, yeah, but the, the hardcoreness is is essentially it's all out of like this compassionate, like these ghosts are stuck. So let's get them yeah. there so they can reincarnate yeah. better. Um, But that's intense, though. I, I like on yeah. a personal level, I'm like, I don't want that relationship because it's too much pressure, man. I got to I got to get a, I got to find a way out of that. Like, <laughs> like I don't <laughs> want to totally be responsible for this person. Holy crap. I totally like... get it. But th it helps to remember that that that's not the only amulet they're in. Right. And uh, it's sort of like a, they they were fucked anyway. They're they're happy to get that that merit. And I I was already doing daily prayers for the dead. So like mm. um, and and elevating the dead is extreme merit. Like it's when it lands, when you offer that, like it lands, mm -hmm. you feel it light up in a different way, in a totally different way than if you did something nice for someone that was practical. And right. I think that has to do with like less people are doing that now. So it counts for more in a weird way mm -hmm. um but like if you do you just do like a little thing every day that's fine but what what i'm interested in is i'm trying to stay ahead of the curve right i'm doing non-astrological talismans <laughs> and i'm i think this is <clears throat> and because you do not see that in the west like you do not see western magic talismans that are not astrologically based 
Like I look to the heavens to make sure there aren't any falling rocks. And then I go about my business. Um, a lot of these tie amulets are, they're not created at an exact moment. That's just right. They might start the working then mm-hmm. at a good election, but they might leave those materials on that altar that receives prayers, merit, and offerings for a full year before they start to combine it into a medium. And I think that kind of patience and that kind of, it doesn't have to be a year. It can literally be a week. Like you can just do the same prayers over something every day for a week. And it almost doesn't, like there's something about, if you're not asking the planets directly to charge it, um, especially that's another thing where like it matters when you make something with necromancy Mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter in the same sort of way because it's all very like low earthy stuff um there's there's like not as much to worry about there going going wrong as if you were like i want to do like some complicated astrological talisman and i need this right election for it um there's something about the the stacking so if you did something for a year you've got every day that year has a different astrology and you're just like running the gamut of like it gets the blessing no matter what and it mm-hmm. sort of has a way of punching through um i'm curious how much you look at um maybe as a closing ish question um how much do you look at the stars before you do a working or how much like that matters to you on a personal level. Yeah. Um, it used to be like never. Um, and now it is so now it is most time, but usually just a perfunctory glance, unless it is like, okay, I'm making a talisman, an astrological talisman, and I need it to be on this this exact moment. Um, but yeah, like you're so you're reminding me, I think there are some people who do maybe they're not called talismans but I know some people in the local sort of like witchcraft space who who make like reliquaries and things like that where it's like natural materials and they're kind of combining it into like an amulet that you wear and it's for for the purpose of whatever you know x y and z that the the, usually based on what the materials sort of are um so I think I think there's some of that going on but um yeah and I mean I I have I have made some like herbal tinctures and stuff. And, and so, you know, coming from my more like Wicca witchcraft type of roots where, where I'm doing more like herbal and, and plant based magics and stuff. So I, yeah, when I'm going to, like when I made my tinctures last year, I did not look at the sky at all. I was just like, I'm, oh, today feels like a good day. I saw those poplar buds and they were like ready to go. So I need to get those in into some vodka. Um, so I'm going to go do that right now. And I did. And then um, this year I made spruce bud again, again, a tincture. And um, I did look at the sky and did I, did I change it? No, I think I was just like, hey, I'm going to wait until the moon is in um, or until the planetary hour is, is this, and the moon wasn't in like a terrible spot. So I was like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll, I'll do that. Um, and yeah, I'm a little bit torn about it because I don't actually, I don't think it actually matters for like, if you're doing those type of workings, I, yeah, the astrology, like, it's just kind of background. Um, maybe sure if the moon was in like a great spot and you had the hours lined up, but then the, the issue I run into with this is then it makes me not do things. Like I'll be like, oh, I can't do that today because the moon's in Scorpio. And I'm like, 
no, you were geared up. You wanted to do it. And then you looked at the friggin' chart and went, oh, well, but that, so yeah. So it's, to me, I'm like, it's more important to like do the thing. And then even like, I call myself a bad astrologer all the time because I don't, I don't usually time when I'm releasing like blog posts or newsletters or, mm. and I know some astrologers are like very, very superstitious about that. Um, or maybe superstitious is, is a bit of a mean way to phrase it, but you know, they're rightly trying to use the, the energies, but here's the thing. If you subscri subscribe to a bunch of astrology newsletters, like I do, you're going to get a shit ton on the full moon. <laughs> and so then you mm -hmm. get all of these, like, like every day. And I kind of was timing mine a little bit like that now, honestly, with the way my life has gone, I send it out when I had the time to send it out. And I think more marketing lens, like, all right, well, I think during weekdays are pretty good, especially for people who work at a desk, because they're going to see it pop into their inbox and read it versus like a Friday night is usually like a pretty shitty time to send something out. So, so yeah, I, I, I guess this is a very roundabout way of not answering your question, but um, I don't, I try not to rigorously time my life because that way leads to madness and also just not getting things done that need to be done. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. The, the next question was going to be, how does intuition factor into when you plan a working slash, how does it conflict or relate to like yeah. your astrological knowledge? Because I think what we were saying earlier, like intuition is something that needs to be cultivated. And mm. if an astrologer gets the inclination and gets pumped out of nowhere to mm -hmm. go do a thing. Mm -hmm. And then they check and they go, no, it's a bad time. And they stop in my mind. They've just kind of like been like, thanks spirit team, but no thanks. Yeah. Hmm. And I've looked back at the times when I like registered my blog domains and, you know, did like a couple like major sort of steps towards, you know, um, all of it right now. And the charts fit. They they were maybe not necessarily the perfect chart, but they but they fit, right? So it makes sense. So yeah, I, I tend to lean more towards just just go ahead and do it. Or like the chart of the day I started at the day job 15 years ago almost now, where I landed in the career that my day job is in was beautiful, actually. Um, no wonder I just took the temp agency gig and stayed there. And that, that was my life now. Um, and I did not plan that. And I don't know if I could have planned that. Um, it just yeah. happened. So, yeah. But see, the thing is with magic, like, unless you're doing astrological magic, I, I don't think you do need to pay. Like, obviously I know the correct answer is like, you should pay attention to timing because you can level it up. But the problem is getting the timing right on an astrological level is hard. Like it's pretty tricky. And also, um, there's often just not that great times. And then, then, then what you're doing is partially astrological. So if it doesn't come off that well, is it because you looked at the chart and now you're trying to weave in the astrology? Because if I'm going to do that and look at the chart, there's a part of me that thinks I should be invoking the planetary deity of the hour at least or something. Right. But uh -huh. then that's not what, what the working is. So, I mean, it, it's needs-based. I like the hoodoo approach, right? Where, uh, I got a court case coming up and I really need the judge to like me. So I'm going to do like a honey jar or something, right? Like that's just, you, who cares what the astrology is? Just do it. Like, just make the honey jar. You got to do it. I, or that, like, that was... yeah, if, sorry, just to finish. Yeah. If I feel gross, if my kid gets sick, I'm just going to do something to like help that immediate situation because it, that just needs to happen immediately. 
that that was what I was leading into is I think the confidence of the momentum, the natural momentum you feel that tells you I should do this thing. To me, I think that's going to be more powerful in the end than hitting the timing just right in a mood where you weren't in the right headspace because you had a bunch of other shit going on and you crammed it in. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I wonder how much it really fucking matters, unless it's a fucking Venus talisman you're making. How much does it matter if things are badly aspected? <clears throat> if you're down here on Earth and you you say the daily prayer, maybe you say the hourly prayer, but maybe you say them, maybe you say the the prayer to the, the planet of the day and the hour as a, here is an offering, here is maybe some merit, maybe an action that I've done to ask you to just kind of stay out of it. Like, keep your bad stuff away. Like, the no no uh harm upon like may all may may only may only put good fortune upon me right turn back your foul fortune and leave me yeah. only good fortune yeah 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 um that to me feels right it doesn't feel like asking the plant and that's usually my approach i feel like in a lot of ways i've kind of been a a, a self-volunteered guinea pig towards this concept um for a long time and never really like I talk about it, but I I downplay it and I say that I'm just stupid and I can't learn astrology. But the truth is, I think constantly about the people who couldn't fucking read, who still did really successful magic and and got written down in fucking history books like that. That to me says that you don't need to know to do effective magic. Like you don't actually need to know anything about astrology to be an effective magician. And I, I like for a long time now, I've kind of gone with this up until recently. Now that I'm making amulets that other people are going to use, I'm paying more attention. But when it was just me, it was sort of like, where's the moon? Okay, if it's in an earth sign that it likes, that's a good idea. Like, and that's about as far as it, like waxing, waning. Cool. That's all I need to know. Um, other mm-hmm. than that, it's just like, please don't fuck up my business. I see you. I know this is your house. Yeah. I know that I'm renting a room at the moment, but <clears throat> can we just pretend it's a private karaoke room and you're not going to come in unless you're bringing drinks? Yeah. And you can. And see, as- astrological magic is very specific practice, right? So in that, and it works, but it does work within those very specific parameters. So yeah, like I think, again, like I said, I think already timing it with the astrology for other workings might give it a boost but i don't think it's necessary um and like as i said i i'm just worried i'm worried when i bring in the astrology that maybe i shouldn't have like i should have just kind of gone with my gone with my gut i think is what you're getting at yeah but again not to knock all the people doing astrological magic but i mean that it is that's astro magic that is very specific and that it has its all sets of own rules and stuff yeah well, yeah. it, well, it also it also brings up the idea, and it kind of goes back to the the whole like, like you you were talking about like conception astrology or whatever. Like, when oh, does the yeah. ritual begin? Yeah, like it probably begins when you have the idea to even do it. Yeah. Right? There's yeah, there's like that I argument, made so. yeah, I made a sun talisman earlier in the year when the sun was in Aries. I was in that ritual headspace for like like days before, um, yeah. you know, when I was pulling up the charts and figuring it out and then 
planning out what I'm doing. Like, yes, it's, it is a process. Um, but I do think that that, that, it, that moment, I mean, that is the astro magic, right? Where you engrave it and you are suffumigating it. Yeah. And, and if you do get the, here's the thing, if you get the timing, right, you can feel it. Like mm. there's a shift. So like yeah. when I made that sun, the sun talismans, I was in kind of like a shittier headspace. Yeah. I was like, I don't really feel like doing this today. And I almost was like, mm, maybe I just won't do it. And then about maybe 20 minutes before the things just shifted and it had been like a gray and shitty day. So I couldn't even see the sun. And then like the clouds parted and the sun came out and I felt like the sun, you know, in my chest again. And I was like, oh, actually the vibes have shifted. <laughs> so then it was like, yeah, let's do it. Right. So yeah. I mean, I have very, I have precious little experience with this. I'm by no means at all. I've done like, I've done two talismans. One was a lunar mansion and one was uh, a sun talisman. I think they both worked in a sense, although the sun, the sun one definitely did. Um, the lunar mansion was, it was the, it was the last one, the 28th lunar mansion. And uh, <laughs> it was like, I wanted, I wanted more clients and the, the image is a guy fishing and I got more clients for my day job. I got lots of clients. <laughs> I got too many fucking clients. And now I'm like, why did I make that talisman? I think it faded really fast too, though, right? So, but anyway, so mm. this is magic though. Sometimes the results you get are literal and also not what you intended. I uh, uh I wonder if somewhere out there in the history of time there's been an uh astrological terrorist who made really <laughs> malefic. Uh, uh, talismans that then they buried at certain spots are like hidden on Ooh. people just to ruin their <laughs> yeah probably well it's like you're getting into cursed territory now yeah <laughs> well I, I actually made a um i made a pair of sigils that one was supposed to absorb um just like emo like emotional energy <clears throat> mm. and then the other one's supposed to spit it out as like a, a sort of a deconstructive force. Um, the idea was, and this was a while ago now, honestly, this feels like talking about like, like writing an anarchy sign on my shoe in middle school or something. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but, and then I put it outside of an amusement park right next to the um, roller coaster. So you get people like screaming and shit. And then the idea was you put the other one outside of like, uh, like, I don't know, like a Pfizer, comp like a, a Pfizer office or something like that, you know, um, someone who's uh, evil and maniacal. And and it just sort of like the idea was that it would transmute and then eat away. Um, I actually lost track of it and never did anything with it. But I like the idea still. <laughs> <laughs> I think ideally yeah, well there would be some kind of like composite being in the middle that transmutes it. Now that I'm yeah. thinking I do love the stories of like bad talismans, like people who have made things that have like really gnarly unintended side effects. Um, <laughs> sometimes to the point where you have to destroy them because they're just, they're acting up. And there's, there's one guy, uh, I think what's uh, Ryan Butler. He's a, he does like astrological timing and magic and stuff. And um, he likes them. So he's like, if you have talismans that you think are like cursed or whatever, he's like, send them to me. I, he enjoys like, deactivating them um if he does or maybe he just likes chaos I don't know but he I remember listening to him talk and he said like um burying is not a great he doesn't like that for getting rid of a talisman that's maybe like funky because again this is how 
curse tablets work, right? Like you, you curse people by burying shit on their property. So like, if you're going to bury something, definitely don't do it on your own property and maybe don't do it at all. <laughs> like there's other ways you'd smash them with a hammer and throw them in a river, or, you know, stuff like yeah. that. Is usually, I was going to say usually the way people... like yeah. running water, yeah. running water is yeah. their shit for getting rid of things. Exactly. Yeah. But that's interesting. I, I, when I was a very, very, very baby wizard, like I'm, you know, wizardry came in after like years of, of, uh, psychonauticism and, and, uh, like armchair shamanism type shit. But, um, once wizardry came in, I was like, oh, cool. Astrology magic. I'll do a thing. And I, for some reason, thought it was a good idea to plan a giant, uh, a giant operation where I was making a fuck ton of bottle jars, like a uh, bottle spells okay. at the same time yeah. during this what I believe to be an election, right? What was the and election? Do you remember? I will send it to you privately. Thank you. <laughs> I'm I, curious. I actually don't have it on me, but I I think I could remember what it is. It, if nothing else, I I know where it is so yeah. I can find it. Um, and <clears throat> it was actually really strangely fortuitous as it happened because it like it was raining when I was supposed to do it and I planned on doing it outside by a bonfire. And it was a very solary thing. And uh, as soon as it, uh, as soon as it started, the rain stopped and I went for a little while and then I kind of like wrapped up one section and it started raining again. And then I like had to, I like lifted the bottles up to stop myself and realized that it was like tricked me into cleansing them because I hadn't done it. <laughs> like, it was... But then when I'd finished, I gave one to my friend who was basically like, I don't give a fuck. I'll try it. And he kept one in his Jeep for a week and then his Jeep got robbed. Oops. And it was supposed to bring uh, attention to you to draw in allies, but it just brought oh. attention to him. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. So. Oh, well, you live and learn, right? But those still <laughs> exist, so I'm going to need this guy's address. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> I could, Yeah. Maybe if you wore that. So again, what what type of attention? Mm. <clears throat> yeah, it was definitely. Sun yeah, sun talismans like... are good for that, right? Like they, it's for prominence and authority and being visible. So it was some yeah. crazy, uh, crazy alignment where a bunch of shit was in Leo with the sun, and okay. I just thought like, oh, like main character magic. <laughs> 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 and this is the part where the main character gets robbed yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is the point where you meet Smeagol whoops yeah yeah because it uh, was it was literally going for like like Frodo collects you know Pippin and the gang like <laughs> like that's what I was yeah. thinking in my head okay but if it was all in Leo then that means that most of the planets would have been like combust or under the beams of the sun so not visible um yeah Okay, well, <laughs> I'll look at it. It's all good. Well, I had to, we, yeah, live, I, we live and learn. Yeah. I had no knowledge. There was very much just that, like, go make a mistake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's that's also part of it, right? Like, you can go through and learn all the rules and be like, okay, this will work. And then it either doesn't or it has other effects or you get a bunch of day job clients because your intention was too vague and you asked for more clients, but not more astrological clients, idiot. I mean, like, come on. More than That's part all. of the, more than part yeah. of the work. I'd say that like is the work it's, you can go to college, but until you're in the workforce, you don't know why you learned what you learned exactly. 
Yep. And uh, and you're gonna forget like half of that shit and remember the importance. Of, like, if you're not out there fucking up and then recovering from it, like you're, I don't know how much work you're actually doing. To be honest. Yeah, I mean, you're doing bad work, I guess maybe. <laughs> yeah, I I don't trust anyone who doesn't have a lot of failure stories. Yeah, we don't like to talk about those publicly, though, right? Well, you you do, and that's why I would trust you as an astrologer. <laughs> well, you know, I've been th- I don't do it as much on my blog, but I really should because um because again, like I do it privately amongst friends and family and stuff, and so they know they know the deal. But um, but yeah, I think it would be good for the general public to to yeah, and also to call myself on it. Like it's a good it's good practice to be like, what did I say last year was going to happen this year? Maybe what actually worked and what didn't. And that's where like a spiritual practice weaves into the magical practice because that is yes integral. Yeah. But I almost feel like I would need someone to go through it with me because, you know, it's like the, it's hard to self judge and stuff. Cause it'd be like, Oh yeah, I said this. It kind of means that, you know, like there might be that temptation to, I think I'm, I've, I've gotten better about putting my ego aside, although certainly it, you know, can still be there. I know when I first started, I really wanted to be right about stuff because um, I was like a noob and I was um, insecure, right? Like I, I was insecure about my own knowledge and and stuff, and I I wanted to prove myself and and all of that and appear like like I think we were talking about the pitfalls, right? Appear like some great and all knowing seer, and and now I'm just like coming at it as more like a these are some patterns, isn't that weird? What does it mean? Mm-hmm. Oh. There's a lot of stuff going on with the moon right now. I've been meaning to write something about that. I don't really know what to say about it other than, well, I think it's clear we're in a space race with the moon in particular. Um, feels very age of air. And other than that, I got I got nothing. Like, I don't know. I don't know why the Russians lunar probe blew up and India landed successfully on the moon within like a couple of days of each other. Well, because it's, it's really hard to run a meat sim without some like administration. <laughs> yeah well it's because they shot the russian one down before it could touch down in nevada and uh we're okay with the indian one landing in nevada so that's probably why <laughs> <laughs> all right india is an ally right i forgot so they, that's okay the russians didn't have the airspace yet <laughs> <laughs> they weren't cleared to be in nevada so oh, well now that you said that it kind of leads to a like does the U.S. share a main moon base on like <laughs> with the extraterrestrial? And they're like, "Oh, it's the Russians." Nah, nah. Hit the red button. It's it's funny you like you're talking about like how you don't trust people who don't experience failure, right? And like how that's so important to grow. And it's it's really funny because. Uh, it made me oddly think about this documentary that that my wife and I watched on Daft Punk, and it was the most boring fucking thing in the world because it was just like we were great and then we just stayed great. Like the documentary <laughs> was just like we never failed or fucked up. We were just good the whole goddamn time. <laughs> okay, so you know what you need to watch is the documentary on the Backstreet Boys because. <laughs> It's fantastic. And you'll cry. Well, I cried, but that's again, I think we established it's not hard to make me cry. But um, (laughs) yeah, no, because they actually it was really self reflective. And they like, you know, they they reflected on things and they went back to like their roots. And anyway, I, I, 
also I was a fan, obviously, but I was a teenage girl when they were out. So I was prime. But no, it was that's I totally see what you're saying. It was like, we're so great. We're awesome. And it's like, that's so boring. I can't relate to that because I'm not awesome all the time. (laughs) That's not a story. Right. Like, I want to hear about, like, how difficult your upbringing was and how this band was like a way out of like poverty in Florida. Like, I don't know. That's way more interesting. The um, I think the only music documentary that's made me cry was Metallica's Monster, but for totally different reasons. Is it because Metallica (laughs) is terrible? No, I'm just joking. No, he likes Metallica a lot, but no, Metallica's horrible. It made me cry because like it didn't actually make me cry this is a joke that i'm taking too far but all right because they're clearly eight-year-old boys stuck in rich giant man's bodies ah yes gotcha and and at some point during the doc you can tell that it started as an earnest documentary but like Mm -hmm. part the way through the people who were making it realized that it had to become satirical and so it got reframed it's really interesting um but it is worthy of tears i will say that okay Sorry, right. I took that joke too far. It's all good. Yeah. You failed. <laughs> Admit your hell, failure. <laughs> hell yeah, I did. I'll just edit it out, man. No, you won't. <laughs> all these awkward silences. We've got to shorten that little gap when we were trying to think about saying a new thing because people can't know that it takes time to think about the next thing to say so that they then hold themselves to impossible standards in their daily lives. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And I have a problem with talking too fast. I, I've really been trying, especially when I go on podcasts and stuff to like not talk really fast. Um, and part of it's because I feel like I I want to get all of this out and not have downtime and all of that like silences. And, and so yeah, that's uh, no, but what's good about like your show is, is that it's so conversational and it sounds like people in the room talking. Um, so sometimes like I'll have it on and I'll forget that it's on because there was like a silence and then you'll scare me because I'll you know there have been like 10 seconds of silence and then someone will jump in and I'm like oh yeah right that was on <laughs> so but it's good I think that's that was the intention of of what you're going for yeah I I'm not sure how much is intention and how much is like just what your cognitive disabilities will allow you but <clears throat> yeah um <clears throat> uh I think it's fair to say that when when Kurt and I do solo episodes, there can be anywhere from 10 to 30 seconds of silence at times. I was mainly thinking of the last one you did, which was (laughs) just you guys. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that one. And I actually did go in and shorten a couple. There there were actually some points where we were silent for 30 full seconds. And I was like, this actually has to get edited. So I, I did that. Um, yeah. And you made it longer. That's what I would have done. I well, Yeah, <laughs> I made it a minute and a half for each one of them. <laughs> I just want to make sure people, you know, were really into it. Like, like I want you to be constantly entertained. That's the point of the show is entertainment. I need constant I, stimulation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm more like the idea of like, wait, did, did my thing just break? What just happened? And then it comes well, back. That, that's yeah. yeah, that's totally it. either you forget it was on because you had been maybe focused <laughs> elsewhere or then you're like, did, did Spotify go down? What the fuck's happening? Like, okay. Yeah. Well, one of my. One of my pet peeves is when you can hear the insincerity in someone's voice. When you when you can like <clears throat> hear them pushing back to a question, uh, when like that awkward silence may have led to the thing that that person was like trying to piece together. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, well, yeah, and and when I was doing a lot of um, writing for the, I wrote for an alt weekly paper here mainly in like arts and and 
food and stuff like that. So I interviewed tons of people to write up um, stuff for the paper and the, you got to give people breathing room. Um, and so like, I was constantly telling like, cause if, if they pause to, you know, gather their thoughts, the urge was to like, keep talking um, to like <laughs> yeah. help them, but it's like, shut up Mel and let them talk you know like they need to think about what you just asked and it's 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 tricky like I I still get that urge of like ah, I gotta fill the silence with talking yeah it's it's really hard to yeah I, I struggle with that a lot and and what what sucks is is when I sit with it if I can if I'm in a place where I can stop <clears throat> and sit with it and be and ask genuinely like hold on where's this coming from why, why do I feel this impulse that I need to talk now and this is something I've been working with for months now is like, it comes from the fact that you're a fucking only child who like <clears throat> needs, like feels like, I feel like I need to like tell the world who I am so I don't disappear. There's mm -hmm. this like really weird, sad thing behind it that I'm having to sit with. And like, when I listen to like the, my favorite podcasts, there's a lot of like contemplation and the guests like the, the host doesn't necessarily feel the need to like let everyone know they're clever. And those are the things that I like about it is that like the ghost is uh, the, the ghost, the get the, the host is clever, but they don't feel the need to point that out. Like it, it, it's just a really difficult thing. I think for most of my life I was operating as like an egregore of myself to sidestep being like directly connected to anything um like a defense like i'm like three feet mm. to the left or something um so it's like kind of like relearning stuff you should have known when you were a kid but, but yeah it's it's really gross when i sit with it and it's like this isn't the show isn't propaganda for me being cool you know and i need to like really allow that to to play out <laughs> um that that's a really interesting idea of like like just the idea of like disassociating being an egregore that you created for of you for yourself and like that's i i think that's i think that's actually how most people operate <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i think that's what the internet is for yeah oh sure our avatars right like i mean i think is... that's why it was invented Mm. I think that that actually might be like an extra human plot to separate us from ourselves. Sorry, I went fucking weird deep there, but no, I like <laughs> it. It's well, it also makes me think that when I interviewed people in person, which didn't happen really that often, it usually wasn't like that because when you're physically in someone's space and someone pauses and you see them, you know, you see them looking and they're looking thoughtful and, and then it's, it felt more natural to just wait and let them collect them thoughts or take a sip of coffee, you know? And um, so in conclusion, kids, if you're going to do interviews in person is better, <laughs> but Zoom, Zoom has helped with that. At least we can see each other, right? Um, but of course the listeners can't. So even if we're all three talking and there's a pause and we're all clearly thinking about it and forming our thoughts, then the audience just hears nothing. So, yeah. Well, going back yeah, to I, the difference between... Sorry. Fuck you. No. Uh, what were you going to say? <laughs> Just going back to the difference between uh, like astrology and astronomy, 
I think, uh, well, I forgot. I fucking lost it. Kurt, you go. <laughs> no, I was going to say that uh, I feel like that's the only way interviews should be allowed to be conducted is either in person or through something like this. When uh, I've I've gotten, I don't give it, get it as much anymore, but the, I think there was like for a while there were like illustration or art teachers that would assign their students to interview a professional illustrator so i would get these emails and sometimes this was it wasn't even students sometimes it was like a semi-professional magazine where it would be this email and they're like can i interview you and i'm like okay sure and then they just send a list of questions and i'm like Uh, this isn't no boo (laughs) Spam, spam folder no as a as a podunk alt weekly former alt weekly editor i can call bullshit on that that is lazy and that is (laughs) email interviews are the worst because (laughs) but it but they're super fast and easy and the reason people like doing them is because they can just copy and paste what you wrote into an article and they don't have to transcribe so yeah yeah. well there's no such thing that that was always my my reaction was like i'm not doing your job no call me pick up the phone and call me and like i did most of my interviews through the phone um but and again so it was okay but i would you know it would have been better if i was there in person but let's face it i didn't have the capacity to go do that all the time especially because i had a day job if it if i had been my full-time job like 100 percent, i would have tried to meet everybody in person um but yeah no transcribing is a thing that you should do if you are in a field where you're interviewing people and then writing you know something based on that interview and there's because that's part of the writing process when you sit there and transcribe you're remembering things and you'll start writing the article and then you'll go back to transcribing you'll write anyway at least that's how I do it uh for sure but it was a very important part also you get you type really fast right so now I can type like the wind um which is a useful (laughs) skill so but yeah anyway yeah no emailing a set of questions is like I would do that if the subject asked for some prep questions um but i tried to be as vague as possible because again i didn't want them to have a scripted answer i was trying to get i was trying to you're trying to capture their personality and who they are and stuff right so yeah anyway an email interview is actually definitionally not an interview it's a fucking questionnaire yeah yeah it's and they have failed their project i don't know if their (laughs) their teacher knows that but they failed i hope they know in their hearts (laughs) i would i just wouldn't answer them (laughs) (laughs) fuck you (laughs) Um, i remembered what the thing was going back to the uh the difference between astrology and astronomy and like where's the intuition in the room so when you're interviewing someone in person you have to take into account that like the brain is like a receptive it's like the radio dial for for being incarnate it like crams an unfathomable consciousness into a single point floating through time in a like you know some kind of forward motion um so when you're in the room with someone and they they finish something that's long-winded you can feel like the situating of that like how how that lands when it finishes Mm -hmm. is tangible and it's in the room with you and like if you're someone who believes in that stuff you can easily tap into that and like you don't even think it's nothing you don't even think about um but that that's an interesting thing when you think about how many people are like kind of growing up now with like you can be at a party but you're still just talking on your phone 
And like, yeah. what does that mean? <laughs> like, eventually, does it mean that eventually we lose all of that sense? Do do we lose it? Or well, what it means is some people can't even talk to you when look you in the eye. Like, you know, that it's a thing. Like, screen induced yeah. autism. You kind of, yeah, Which or like, or just people who are so uncomfortable, like being in a physical space with someone that they're they're so tense that yeah, which is it's so awful because I know like doing interviews in person, especially if if they were talking about something difficult, it was so much better in person, so I could just be supportive in yeah nonverbal ways, right? Like so, by body language and like I'm like I'm here for you, man. Like you can be vulnerable. Um, it's hard to do that over the phone just going yeah for sure you know like eh, it kind of gets a little annoying and stuff yeah not that i am in any way for data collection or (laughs) putting things in some kind of database but it would be interesting to look at the lockdown suicides and then the personality types of like who communicates what way Mm. it's it's interesting to think about i wonder how many how many people that rely more on body language and tone of voice and things like that? Uh, I wonder if those people had a harder time coping. Of course they did, I think. I'm, you made me think of my um, cousin who uh, he got diagnosed with schizophrenia um, in the last couple of years. And I I don't know if I buy it, um, mm-hmm. but he, let's just say he was he was someone who spent a lot of time with he spent his time with people he's single um but he he lives with his parents he's older he's like in his um 50s and um he was always like a quiet guy but he always w- wanted to be around people like he he was that social guy like he would always want to you know come around and he and it was mainly family right so he would he would just visit with family all the time maybe some friends or whatever and so then when the pandemic happened he was at home you know with his elderly parents and that was it i think it broke him and mm. he ended up having some psychotic episodes and got medicated and spent some time institutionalized even a couple times. And like, I just saw him about a month ago and he was, he, he had that look, which I know comes from like anti-psychotic meds. Um, it's it, hard to describe, but I guess if you've seen it, you know it. And it's, it's just that sort of, yeah, like he, he's just not who he was. Uh, his light mm. is, is so much dimmer. And, and I think that, yeah, like that's a guy who, he didn't communicate on screens, you know, small town dude, he would just show up at your house and, and visit. And that was like every day. And that's what he did. So when he couldn't do that, and he was just some completely alone and isolated, like, he, I think his brain just kind of broke a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I mean, that's, isn't that like the main, the most torturous form of, of imprisonment is solitary confinement. And that's what yeah, all, everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh yeah i'm sorry for that like about your brother yeah it's it's rough but i mean he's just wanting he didn't commit suicide um yeah yes yay but i mean like it just and there's so there's you know so many cases of this right like every i'm sure there's a million other people listening probably have their own like oh yeah they can think of like a bunch because what we did collectively was real bad and you know, astrologically, there was some signatures in the sky to indicate generational curses um, corresponding oh. to the, yeah, the 2020 time period. Yeah, this is something it's, it's, yeah, it's, 
it's Saturn South Node, I believe. And this is this is where it's from more Vedic astrology. And it's if you have that in your chart. So it's something that will happen every 20 years or so, 30 maybe, I guess. Um, no, I'm doing it, whatever, 20, 30 years. There's there's gonna be these signatures for for like a generational curse. And in Vedic astrology, it's um you can't get rid of that on your own. Um, so you you can get rid of it, but you need you need people to help you, like you need astrologers or whatever spiritual people to to come and help you. Um, and we don't do that, certainly not in Western society. So if you think about like, it kind of blew my brain when I was thinking about this, I'm like, wait a second. So if there's this signature that happens every 20, 30 years that marks like some sort of a significant generational curse, trauma, whatever, and most of the people on earth do not do anything about it. So then that just, it just builds every generation and it builds through time. So how long is, how many centuries has that been happening where you want to talk about ancestral baggage like holy shit anyway so yeah enter I wonder, us. yeah yeah i wonder what why. the process for getting for relieving it or getting for, rid of i don't it. know like this is where we wouldn't we, we need to find a vedic astrologer because i, I know almost nothing about vedic and this is coming from a friend of mine who has done a bit of work with that so that's 100 all, all him there yeah, yeah. But just that concept of generational curses. And I'm like, wait a second. So this has been happening and we haven't been getting holy people to help us release these demons, for lack of a better word or whatever, that's been stacking up. And then you can, it's almost like you can kind of see it. Like, this is why our right? Yeah. I think, I think that's why our, uh, our ancestors conjured us. Mm. Mm. We're the yeah, fire, my, we're the, like the 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 fire extinguisher behind the glass. Yeah. It's like well, my bringing... daughter has it. Like my yeah. daughter has it in her chart. So like, I got to do something about that at some point. <laughs> like, she yeah. I, she can't do it for herself. She's gonna need mom or someone else to help her with that. Mm. I would. I wonder if this also like, this may be why there's an uptick in you know, interest in shamanism and in things like ayahuasca and stuff, because it's, it's all of this. That's like nature is going to find a way or the cosmos is going to find a way to take care of this if we're not going to actually be aware of it. So it's It's like, it's bubbling up in the culture some way, somehow the, the, the uh, remediation for this is coming through. And that's maybe uh, it makes me wonder why if there's there's so much more like interest in alternate forms of healing and everything is probably because of, mm-hmm. of what you're talking about this this we can't uh, no one's dealing with this problem yeah yeah I mean I guess probably not no one I I assume the people who are in like Vedic astrology <laughs> are practicing and if they see that in people's charts would because they're very much prescription based, like they read your chart and then they're like, okay, this is what's wrong with you. You got to do this. These are your mantras and say this. And here's, you need to make like a ring or, or a pendant out of these gemstones. Like they're, they, they give you the like solutions. Yeah. Um, that's, that's very much in their, in their tradition, but yeah, like I, I think that there's probably other ways of, of dealing with that. I mean, even taking the astrology out of it, like, I do think that I feel that there's so many people walking around with, with that ancestral burden and uh, I certainly have some and I've been 
bit of an ostrich about it. So I, I'll get to it, but it can feel so overwhelming, right? Like, why do I have to be the one to deal with my family's shit? Why didn't <laughs> they do it when they were alive? This isn't fair. But because yeah. you love them and no one else was going to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the one of the more frustrating things that, uh, I mean, it's good, but it is a frustrating thing that, like, my therapist told me was like, it's the person who recognizes the problem that generally has to deal with it. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hate being that person because I am that person. I'm I'm like that at work. I'm like that in my home life. Like, it's like, God damn it! If I could just be oblivious and have tunnel vision and no, I wouldn't have to do anything. Yeah. I actually was shown in an ancestor in some ancestor work that. <laughs> it's really interesting because my my dad was raised Amish and comes from like really sturdy stock, like just good fucking genetics. My dad didn't go to a doctor until he was or didn't go to a dentist till he was 40 years old and had zero cavities like that kind of just thoroughbred shit. And then my mom's side, nothing but curses. And and I actually was shown like you had to be mixed evenly between these two so you could handle it. Like mm. the dad side brings the strength so that you can break the curses from mom's side. Mm. Yeah. And think of the people who would come from two sides of curses. Yeah. That's where I think you do need other people. Yeah. Yeah. That, that side has curses too, but they're, they're mild or at least they show up very acutely with only certain people. But, um, We've been going for a while. Does anybody have anything to add? I, I would like to make sure Mel tells everyone where to find her because uh, I highly recommend seeking her out for reading. Yay. Um, yeah, so come to my website, melpriestley.ca or .com. I own both domains. So you'll find me um, or just Google me and you'll see me. And yeah, that's where that's where you'll find me. Um, I do post on my blog as much as I can, which is not a ton. Sign up for my newsletter because I send those out once a month-ish. Although I got to find better timing that's not so obvious because I don't want to be one of like 15 astrologers emailing you at the new or the full moon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, other than that, like I don't find me. Well, you can find me on social media, but like don't take it personally if I don't respond because I don't really, I post and ghost on social media. So um, yeah, if you want to ask or talk, a like talk a question at me. Um <laughs> Email me a questionnaire. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you should uh, <laughs> just send me an email. You, I will answer questions. Maybe not a questionnaire, but um, yes, I, I prefer to correspond more privately than like in the public forum on Twitter or X or whatever it's called these days. <laughs> I can't even like bring myself to keep it on my home screen anymore because I feel like yeah. suddenly a tech I, pro douchebag. Yeah, no, I, I still have a Twitter account, but I... Like, and I'm glad I do so I can see what's going on there, of course, because of all the changes going on now, you're not allowed to spy on it without an account anymore. But um, yeah, I don't engage. I stopped engaging in like 2020 when the pandemic really hit. I was like, bye. So yeah. That's smart. I waited till like early 22 and it was a mistake. Mm. Um, mm. <laughs> I also want to mention, uh, if you want to hear more conversations with Mel, check out Nightbird Radio Podcast. Uh, he's been on an extended break because he is hauling ass, but uh. He Literally. will be back eventually, and Mel is a pretty regular figure on that show. Yeah, 
Yeah, I can't wait till I want Tim to come back on on Soapbox and you guys need to hear his stories about trucking. Like, yeah, I think we need to have like the three of us just have a bro down story time show because like Kurt and I have hung out. Tim's hung. Tim and he have hung out a lot lately. Like we just need to tell stories for an episode. And that way, you know, for the fans, for all 65 of you listeners who (laughs) love so much. Um, Perfect. And I guess with that, Kurt, do you have anything to add? Uh, go to Nevada and visit the moon. Okay. Yeah. It's actually, it's <laughs> and great. slash Perfection Valley. Actually, no, they filmed it in California, but close enough. <laughs> <laughs> of course they did. <laughs> I hear the moon is best to visit in the spring. I know it's pretty hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me on, though, guys. This was super fun. Yeah, this was a banger. Thank you so much for coming on. We'd love to have you back anytime. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Bye.